Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, the Jazz home court winning streak is over. Snapped to 24 straight games. They lose for the first time since the Phoenix Suns beat them on New Year's Eve. They had not lost at home since that game on December 31st of 2020. Yes, it's the first home loss of 2021. And I don't know who to give this credit for credit to. I think it was Hans Olsen, but I'm not positive. But uh, whoever it was, yes, 2021 is better than 2020. We all wanted an upgrade when 2020 ended. And 2021's had its issues, but at least for the Jazz home record, it's been a serious upgrade. So what went wrong? It's easy. It's what usually goes wrong. It's defense. We can sit around and talk about the offense all the time. How many shots Joe takes and then, uh, you know, how many uh, Royce O'Neal is hitting and his slump and why isn't Bogey back? Bogey was back last night, by the way. He was firing. He was filling it up. That was as good as he's looked at the offensive end of the court. And yet they lost. Donovan had another 40-point game, awesome in the first quarter, really struggled in the second, kind of invisible in the third, and then really good again in the fourth. And he ends up with 40 points. But they didn't lose this game because Donovan went for 40 instead of 60. We can sit here and upgrade the offense, whether it's Donovan or anybody else. thought the Wizards did a pretty good job of, uh, and they've got some size, so it stands to reason they would do one of the better jobs. They did a pretty good job of uh, keeping Rudy Gobert in check on the offensive end. But if you had to look at three reasons the Jazz lost this, defense, defense, and defense. They gave up 70 points in the first half. They gave up more than 120 points in the game. And when they do that, they're going to lose. It's, it's really clear-cut. You can go into all the analytics you want. You can go into all the theories. You can sit around and have all the sports bar, uh, sports talk radio arguments you want. But it's clear-cut. When the Jazz hold people under 110, they're nearly unbeatable. When the score gets in that 110 to 120 range, they're mediocre. It's a coin flip of a game. If a team scores over 120, the Jazz are getting beat. I'm going to win, and I think, well, I'd have to look it up. I think they're 2-8 and eight now. It's bad. You know, you can't give up 120 points and think you're going to score your way to a win. It doesn't happen very often. It's certainly not going to happen in the playoffs, you know. And I think if Quinn could wish for anything, and we'll get into this, we're going to hear from him the best of the postgame show. And he took multiple questions about defense. And, you know, he did give credit uh, to the Wizards, and they deserve it because they played well. And they tend to play well against the best teams. Lakers, Clippers, Nets, Jazz. They're 6-2 and two in eight games against those teams. <laughs> those are the best teams in the league. Why are you under 500? As Thurl Bailey said in the postgame show to Matt Harpering, why are the Wizards under 500? And why are they battling to get into the play-in tournament? <laughs> what is happening? They are taking it. They're 2-0 and against the Jazz, and they're beating the other best teams in the league. And it's a couple things. It's, uh, it's scheduling slash coincidence, and they get up for the better teams. Now, they've had injury issues, the Westbrook trade, uh, you know, and I think some other moves they made uh, midseason. You know, they've been strengthening their team. They've had guys miss games. And so, you know, these have been factors. They've got to have their group together. They don't, they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have the group. They're not going to be as good. And I do think there's definitely getting up for other opponents. So, it's a process. They're changing over their roster, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Um, so, credit to the Wizards. And Westbrook had it going, and Westbrook made good decisions, and Westbrook hit mid-range jumpers. Um, but when the Jazz were going poorly, when they were giving up 70 points they in the first half, they were giving up layups. There were too many layups and dunks. And when you add in 
a few free throws, and you add in a couple of wide-open threes, it's going to get out of hand, and it's going to be a problem. And it did get out of hand, and it was a problem. And at the core of it, and I absolutely believe this, at the core of it, there are too many easy possessions, too many layups and dunks. Now, when I asked Quinn about it, and you hear this coming up, he went, well, it starts with transition. With us, it usually starts with transition. And certainly... The Wizards did get their share of transition points. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Some of them were just uh, get the turnover and go one-on-none. You know, it was all alone, breakaway. Uh, and then other times, it was just, yeah, it was kind of a scramble. It was four-on-three, three-on-four, four-on-four. But they never quite were matched up the right way. And they didn't get the kind of the, they like to refer to the wall of defenders, to wall a guy off. Because he'll go around one guy and create contact if the guy moves and get to the free throw line, which they did, by the way. Um, but you get three defenders in front of him, and then they'll back it out or they'll give it up. And there wasn't enough of that. You know, so certainly were issues in transition. But I thought even when the Jazz got him in a half-court offense, there were too many times that it, that it broke down because the guy couldn't stay in front of his man. He just got beat off the dribble. Uh, I was surprised that Rudy wasn't there to help more often. And sometimes it is spacing issues and where he is on the court, and sometimes he's trailing the play a little bit in transition. Uh, it didn't look right. And you're going to hear Donovan Mitchell talk about this. And uh, Rudy talked about it a little bit with a little smirk. He didn't want to admit it, but it was kind of obvious. So he kind of had to. They're fatigued. You know, they're playing their fourth game in six days, and they've looked sharper. They've looked more energetic. There were times where the crowd, the adrenaline, uh, you know, they put on a late run. They were down, they were down 19, and they got it down to a one-possession game. Uh, they got it down to two points, but they, they couldn't get over the hump. And it was too big a hole, and they started too late. And it's a familiar story. You know? So there were stretches, and early they just they were outscoring the Wizards in the first quarter, and then the fourth quarter, the adrenaline. And I think when you have a big lead, it's a little bit like we were talking about with uh, Hideki Matsuyama in the, in the Masters. You know, you're not playing to win by six shots. You're not playing to win by ten points. You're playing to win. And so there's a little bit of milk the clock, and then you don't get as good a shot, and it takes out of your rhythm offensively. It makes it a little easier for him to come back. Um, but they held on and got the win, so nothing else matters. It's like Matsuyama held on and got the green jacket and folded it over a chair at the Atlanta airport. <laughs> That's just awesome. Just walking over. Hey, that guy, that guy looks familiar. Which guy? Uh, the guy with the green jacket sitting on that chair next to him? <laughs> Man, that's got to turn heads in an airport. <laughs> that's just got to be awesome. Um, so for the Jazz, it's just, you know, Quinn's been saying it for years. I mean, it was probably three, four years ago I was joking about, you ask Quinn a question about offense, and he turns it to defense. And the better they get, the more obvious it becomes why he, does, he did that and why he still does that. Although now i got to say he does just get more asked more about defense because it just becomes really clear that that's the reason to win the game. When they gave up 70 points in the first half, you know they're in trouble. If they rally and they keep a team under 110, they're going to win. They're too good offensively not to. That's when Boyan getting hot or Donovan's 40-point game or whatever it really comes to the fore. You know, but if they're a little fatigued, if they're a little tired, they uh, which they acknowledge, and you'll hear it coming up that Donovan and Rudy both acknowledge that they're just going to have to suck it up because the Oklahoma City Thunder are here. They're going back to back and they're playing again. After that, they do get two days off, which will help. Of course, after that, they play back to back again. So uh, it's what uh, Rudy said. Hey, lots of other teams in the league have to do this. It's just it's the nature of this season. The games are coming fast and furious. And even though the Suns picked up a game on them last night, and now the Suns are a game and a half behind the Jazz and have the tiebreaker because they've won two at the Jazz with the third game still to come. 
the Suns play 12 of the last 16 on the road. Their schedule is going to be brutal. Now, maybe teams will rest their best guys and the Suns will get through it, but it doesn't seem the way doesn't seem the way to predict things now or the way to bet right now. It seems like the Suns are going to get hammered by that 12 and 16 on the road to finish things. There's some good teams in there, assuming they play their guys, their stars. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joined us in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday. And, uh, of course, he wouldn't know about the Wizards game, but I think to the bigger point of some of the things he talked about, uh, especially the Lakers, spot on. Here's Steve Cleveland with PK and I. Steve, good morning. Good morning, guys. Steve, it's weird how things keep happening to you in your life over and over and over. And for (laughs) Jazz fans, and I was in Santa Barbara, which is just, such a hardcore Laker area. And I remember when the Jazz and Lakers played in the playoffs in the 80s, and Laker fans, for once in their lives in that era, were actually scared in a Western Conference playoff series. And I was living here in the 90s, and it was Shaq and Kobe, and the Jazz beat them twice on the way to the NBA Finals. And sure enough, in the 2000s, it's Kobe and Gasol, and they're knocking the Jazz out three times. And I think a lot of Jazz fans, for all the success, are still looking over there going... Are those guys going to be healthy for the playoffs or not? What's the deal with LeBron and AD? Now, PK brought up earlier this morning, he saw some stuff about AD's out two more weeks, LeBron three more. That stuff can always, you know, move a little bit, but it's at least a ballpark. Are these guys getting back in time for the playoffs or not? Uh, I, I think they'll be back in time for the playoffs. Obviously, But to be really not... good in the playoffs. Yeah, that, that, that's the question. Um, I think what does happen is just watching them play against Brooklyn this week, is if, if, if there's a silver lining for the Lakers, it's that they can figure out how to win games without them and be a better team when they come back because they've really struggled and looked bad. And, you know, Kuzma's out as well and, uh, and Gasol. But I, Gasol being out, I don't think is a major issue. Kuzma is kind of up, so up and down. But with Caruso and some of the other guards and, you know, Caldwell Polk, getting confidence back. The only, the only silver lining I see for the Lakers is that if they can win more games while these guys are out and become better without them, then, you know what, it may be different than it was when it all started. So I do believe that LeBron and, and AD will be back. The question is if this second unit can get better. And if they get better, then I think that the Lakers are a team you probably don't want to play early. But who knows? We'll see what happens. But uh, that's the silver lining. The other thing is, I haven't seen the Lakers really haven't looked good all year, even when they were playing, as far as I was concerned. So, and you know, I've got a little bit of Laker blood in me. Uh, however, uh, it, it, right now, I'm excited about the Jazz and what's happening there. And uh, it just seems to be their time and their moment. And just looking at the schedule, finishing this thing out. I mean, I, I don't see any way that Utah doesn't win the division easily. 
I saw in that Laker game, you know, when they beat the Nets, that Drummond had 20 and 11. I don't know if he's going to do that when the big two come back because he may not have that opportunity. But how much do you think he can help them in the postseason? Well, I do believe that he can help them. And and I think that, uh, you know, losing the two bigs from last year, there seemed to be something missing. And Gasol is, is kind of beyond his prime. He's certainly capable of keeping teams honest and knocking occasional three down. But Drummond is something they didn't have. And he can protect the rim. Uh, he, he can certainly score. And he seems to have a little something to prove. I think that <clears throat> he seems to be really motivated and active. Excuse me, and I I just think he can help the Lakers. I think he'll have an impact, um, but but again, I still believe that it, it's going to be the the seven, eight, nine, ten guys that are playing now. If they can come in and give valuable minutes, I mean, like Caruso's been so up and down. All of a sudden, he seems to be playing a little bit better, kind of the way he was playing in the playoffs last year. Get that kind of play. Get Drummond. Uh, I, I think Drummond was a good get. I, I, it'll be a little dicey because if he's playing. Uh, that means AD's on the perimeter. That always makes me a little bit nervous. I like AD at the five when they go small, but uh, there'll be teams that they play that I think Drummond can help them win games in the playoffs. So this means uh, what you just said right there really, to me, underscores Derek Favors' willingness to accept Rudy Gobert's backup minutes and nothing else and to throw himself into making an impact in those minutes. And you know, they're really secretive about his health. I think the way he was moving, it wasn't good for a while, and he wasn't performing well for a while. I think lately he's probably feeling better because he's playing a lot better. But when you start playing a lot better, you tend to want more minutes. And it kind of messes things up if you get him. So you got to accept your role, even though that's a hard thing to do. Do you think Drummond is set up for accepting his minutes? Because if he just played when AD sat... You wouldn't have that issue you're talking about where AD's at the four and they're not quite as efficient. How does that play out, you think? Yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't know and don't know Drummond, but I'm just watching him play and looking at what he's been through. It seems to me that he's really excited to be out there playing. And obviously he's going to get more minutes now than he would when the two come back. But I think winning a championship is such a huge issue now in this league and – this is something that I, I think I, I see Drummond being a real asset, to be honest with you. Not, not that he's going to carry the team, but just having a presence, defending the rim, another big body. Uh, I thought the Lakers played as good as they have all year defensively against the Nets. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, I know they were missing people, and, and uh, both the point guards you know, got removed from the game in the third quarter, but... Uh, I, I think I think Drummonds are going to be a real asset to them defensively, and the ability to score inside. And there's times, I mean, the one thing about Drummond, he takes the ball to the rim. AD oftentimes will be in the post and just settle for the eight, ten, twelve foot jumper. And and that's not that he can't make that, but when those shots aren't going down, um, it, it can be a bit of a liability for the Lakers. And I, I think that the key thing is this: I mean, when LeBron James is healthy. And he's playing. I mean, he's the difference maker. I mean, we can talk about all these guys, but <laughs> LeBron James is the guy that is going to determine whether the Lakers get back to where they were last year. And because he can just play every position, and defensively they're good with him. Um, but I'm, I think the Lakers are better today because of the the reps that the the subs are getting and that Drummond's there. 
But, you know, you're, you're looking at this thing, and it, they may be seventh or eighth in, in conference. I mean, depending on how people play, they're not going to ever have home court advantage. If a vote was taken today for first-team All-NBA, I believe Donovan Mitchell should be on that team. First-team All-NBA at this point in the season. React to that. I completely agree. Though, I'm not sure that all the pundits, sportscasters, and everybody else feels that way. But you, you look at 40 and 13, by the end of the week, you know, <laughs> I mean, they've got the Wizards, the Thunder, the Pacers. They've got the Lakers at Lakers. But, he, I mean, they're going to be 43 and 13, 56 games. What do they play this year, 72? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see him going away. And uh, he, he is the best player on the team that's playing the best in the NBA. Now, there are people that would argue that this is the most talented team or the best team, but certainly you've got the coach of the year, you've got the player of the year, and you've got an unselfish, great high chemistry uh, a team that people, everybody understands their roles and they're playing with a great deal of confidence. And uh, so I, I, I agree. Who are the other four? Because it's easy to say that, but then you've got to be willing to relegate someone else to second or third team. Well, let's just think about that here a little bit. Um, uh, to the Kempo? You, you look at, you, I mean, you look at somebody like Embiid who's been uh, hurt. You know whether that hurts him or not. Uh, I mean, you, you probably Harden is the guy that's played the most minutes for a, a really. I'm just going for guys that are on really good teams. I mean, he and Kyrie, do one of them make the all-NBA teams? I mean, they, they, they miss so many games, it's hard to know. Giannis is still always in the picture. Then you've got uh, the big fella at Denver, who's probably... Jokic. Every, uh, everybody feels that you know he's probably the MVP of the league. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Would you, what would you, you do know, with, Le- guys, what would oh, you do you with LeBron? What? I, I, I don't... I mean, if LeBron comes back and puts up numbers, yeah. I mean, how can you ever keep LeBron? But what if they miss twenty-five games? How, how do you how, how do you justify that? I mean, there's no question. LeBron, in my mind, is the best player in the league. I don't care if I'm going to pick first. I'm picking LeBron at thirty-six to be on my team. So yeah, LeBron. LeBron is there. I just don't know if there's a number of games they got to play. Um, you know, what those circumstances are. I mean, you look at Phoenix, they've got a, the second-best record in the NBA. Uh, is You know, Booker barely made the all-star team. So I don't, I don't think he's a first-team guy. Um, I don't know. Who, who else do you think? I mean, who else is, is there? Uh, will Chris Paul break through? they got the second-best record yeah. in the league, and he's been all-NBA nine times. And, and there's a sentimental favorite, too. I mean, there's a guy that's been around – and uh, and he's he, right. I mean, he, so if you, if you took, uh, yeah, you, you took, I don't know. What what are your feelings about Harden and Kyrie? I mean, Kyrie's been pretty special. You know, Harden was leading that team by himself for most of the. I mean, Kyrie's missed a lot of games. But I think Harden. You could make a real strong case for Harden and how well he's played until he just recently has uh, missed a couple games recently. Yeah, I think there's a better argument for Harden than for Kawhi. Yeah, I, I think uh, 
I think that Harden and LeBron, because of injuries, may not make the first team. I think that Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic, and um, Anta DeKempo have a really good shot. And so I just, someone's got to be sixth or seventh. And, you know, the door opens a little bit if Harden and LeBron get knocked out for injury. But that's the only reason they're getting knocked out. They will, they will get the votes and find a way to the first team unless they miss so many games. And I think it's more of an issue for LeBron than, than Harden because LeBron, I think, is going to miss more games. Although hamstrings are tricky and you never know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dan Lillard is always, is always going to be in the mix. Jokic, I mean, Dawkins uh, uh, is always going to be in the mix. Uh, I, I'm just trying to think if there's anybody uh, in the East that we're kind of missing um, I'll tell you what, until he got hurt, LaMelo Ball was, as I mean, the fact, idea of him being first team, no, but I, I'm telling you, I, I don't know if I was impressed with anybody more than him before he got hurt. I, I thought that he really, really helped Charlotte. Now, Charlotte's still in the playoff picture, but he was really fun. You know, some younger guys, but uh, I think the, the ones we've talked about are probably – Donovan Mitchell's in, in that group. I mean, there is no way he's not in that group. And, uh, you know, from there, I think we've probably talked about the names that are more likely. But I, that, that, those are the things that come to my mind. I want to switch to college basketball here for a second. For the sake of the integrity of the sport, did Arizona need to part ways with Sean Miller? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just wondering why it took this long. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've met Sean a few times. I don't. He's not a friend in, per se, but that. For, I, I don't understand why that took so long. When when I I listened to the recordings, you can <laughs> listen to the recordings on the telephone. All of that was public information. Uh, yeah, that should have happened a long time ago. I'll say it was a pan- pandemic. He had an expensive contract, and he won a lot. And those three things yeah. got him an extra year because otherwise he could have been gone a year ago. Yeah, uh, I'm I, curious. I I'm curious about all the names that had been linked, and it is it, it has really entertained me how many guys have been linked to a job. You just can't have 50 finalists, and the, the list isn't 50 long, but it's pretty long. But I'm curious as a guy who went in and had to clean stuff up, and then there was, um, you know, probation, and the NCA comes in. How much should people want that job? Because on the one hand, it is the Arizona job. It's a Power Five league. You get paid a lot of money, and you got a chance to win a lot, and you got a rep to to recruit off of. And then over here, sanctions, and people sometimes underestimate how crippling they are in the short run, which is all a coach may have is the short run. So what would you advise this long list of people linked to that job? You know, uh, I, I, I mean, I've, I've been involved in a job like this. Um, and and it, it didn't play out perfect for me, but there are some real benefits and there's some really good things that can happen. One, I think in a job like this, people are not going to be impatient. I know that most people are. But when everything gets fully exposed and, every, and we're going to be real transparent, with the community and that athletic director, that president and that coach need to be transparent about where they are and where they're going and that we can't go back to this and that you, we're going to get this program back to where it once was. 
but uh, you need to understand that these things have to take place. And so I think there uh, is a narrative that takes place when the, when the coach is selected that can protect him, protect the institution, and welcome new players. Now, the transfer portal, we've talked about that almost every week. Uh, getting players quickly is not nearly as difficult as it used to be because there's 1,700 people in the transfer portal, and a lot of them are really good players. But I, but I, 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 don't, I don't believe it's a job. I mean, I, I think it can be a really good job. And I think you get a little bit of a break and you get a little bit of breathing area that you're going to go clean things up and get things right academically. You're going to get things to change the culture. People are going to be a little more patient. You're probably going to get a year or two. And then after that, they'll be chomping at the bit again. But I, I, that, those are good jobs to take personally. I, I think that uh, if you, if you trust yourself, if you can get a great staff together and turn that thing, uh, that's a great institution. It's a wonderful place to play. It's in a good conference. Uh, it, it, they can make that a destination spot again without all the cheating. So I've talked to some people about that job, uh, and a lot of folks down there are talking about keeping it in the family. you got Damon Stoudemire at Pacific, Miles Simon, NBA assistant, uh, and Josh Pashner, who was at Memphis, is a walk-on there for Lute Olson at Memphis, now at Georgia Tech. And so those three guys, I don't, I don't think Steve Kerr or Luke Walton would leave the NBA to go there, but those three guys, college level, uh, I, w- I would certainly think uh, would be interested. And then you also got Tommy Lloyd at Gonzaga, 46 years old, uh, and has a, an agreement to succeed Mark Few, who I believe is 58, but I'm not sure Mark Few is retiring anytime soon. And Tommy Lloyd has built a reputation with Gonzaga, and he has a loose tie anyway. His son, I think, plays for Grand Canyon, which is in the Phoenix area two hours away. But what do you think about Tommy Lloyd as far as from leaving his job where it's pretty secure – and then from Arizona perspective of hiring somebody who's never been a head coach at the collegiate level? That's a great question. I, you know, Tommy Lloyd is, has had a huge impact in the footprint there at Gonzaga, and certainly he's comfortable. But I think anybody that's been doing that as long as they have, there's an itch to go have my own team. And to have my own team be in Arizona in a, in a really a, a, a program that's had a storied history and has been had great success, um, I – I, I could see him leaving, and uh, and and yeah, you, you know what, he, he's going to get out of his comfort zone. But I think most guys that are in this business at the highest level, that's what they dream about. And to be able to get that job and actually with an asterisk have a little bit of time to fix that thing, he, he's a great recruiter. He, he knows where people and players are, and uh, I, I think that the turnaround will be pretty quick there. Now. You know, it's, it's interesting. All three of those others, Stoudemire, Miles, Pazner, I mean, those are all really good coaches, all have connections, and, and I think would all be good coaches there. Uh, Damon Stoudemire has done a nice job with the WCC. It, it's not easy building something at UOP, but he's made them competitive. You know, I did a few of his games a couple of years ago and had a chance to spend time with him. As he, You know, he, he does a great job in preparation. He brings kind of a NBA feel for things as well. He just wasn't dealing with the same – caliber and level, high-level players, but I, I don't think you can miss on any of those guys, but Tom Rizzardo will get his chance to stay at Gonzaga, but it may be a deal where, hey, you know what? I helped establish this, and I want to go do my own thing, and I want to establish my own program, and I, 
and listen, I, I don't know him, and I've never had a conversation, but I could see him thinking that way, that this is a great opportunity for me and to do what we just done, replicate it, get Arizona back in the top 10 in the country and going to the NC2A tournament every year and doing it clean. So, uh, and I think people can get excited about that. I, I'm sure that their Arizona alums w- would love to have any one of those three former players or have connections. But Tommy Lloyd, probably, he, he's, he's a guy that's as hot as there is and, and has been in a program that's been dominant. So uh, I think it's a good, I think it'd be a good hire to have him come in. Yes, there's things he's going to have to learn, and yes, he's going to have to get a staff. And maybe he fills some of his staff with former players from Arizona. I don't know. But uh, I, I, I think it's, it's a little risky from where he is right in a safe, comfortable position. But I think most guys want the challenge, man. They want to have their own team. And this is a, probably a pretty good time for Coach Lloyd. Well, Coach, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for stopping by. And we will talk to you again next week. All right, guys. Take care. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. The Jazz lose a home game for the first time since New Year's Eve when the Phoenix Suns beat them. They get taken down by the Wizards to sweep the two-game series this year. Here's Jake with the best of the postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. The Jazz suffered their first home loss of 2021. Last night, they lose to the Wizards 125-121, to despite 42 points from Donovan Mitchell, who continues to be red hot. He had 42 on 14 of 32 shooting, 4 of 11 from 3, 10 of 12 from the line. He had 6 assists and 3 rebounds as well. Bogdanovich had 33 points in the losing effort, 10 of 18 from the field. Uh, but uh, Jazz could not uh, overcome the loss of a couple of key players who didn't play, namely Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson. The bench had its worst output of the year with just 14 points coming in off the bench in the, with the absence of those two guys and Joe Ingles having to move uh, to the starting lineup. And the Wizards, of course, got big performances from their two big players, Bradley Beal with 34 points and Russell Westbrook with a triple-double, 25-14-14. and 14. But the win streak ends at 24. The Jazz lose at home for the first time since New Year's Eve, which is just wild. It feels like so long ago. Uh, let's get some post-game sound going. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Hi, Coach. We'll get started with Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Coach, you guys certainly battled down the stretch but struggled to get stops against their speed tonight. What problems did that create for you? Well, you know, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal are are great players. And, you know, I thought, you know, Russ tonight was incredibly efficient. Um, You know, he was making the right play, you know, all the time. And obviously Brad is a gifted scorer and player. Um, you know, we, we didn't have the, the right focus defensively in the first half, you know, and gave up, you know, a couple quarters that, 
and made it difficult for us. And we started playing better defense later in the game and were able to help to score on the other end as well. But not enough. David James, KUTV. Quinn, specifically, I'm wondering what you saw wrong with your team's defense in the first half and, and how early you really noticed that you were having problems that were not just them being good, but stuff that you could fix. Well, you know, it's never just one thing. There's different things on different different possessions. Um, you know, it, transition is always the biggest thing, you know, against these guys, and you know that going in. But, um, you know, Westbrook's so fast with the ball that, you know, that he's able to get down the court. I thought, you know, they made a lot of plays around the rim. We just didn't have enough of a presence you know, on the defensive end in general. And, you know, you could dissect um, a number of different different situations, but there were there were too many of them. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, what did you make of Trent Forrest and Eric, uh, or sorry, Matt Thomas's uh, minutes in, in kind of rotation minutes tonight? Well, you know, Andy, it's really about our entire group. Um, you know, as far as any one or two players, regardless of who they are, everybody just needed to be better. And we, we weren't tonight. And, um, you know, we'll watch the film and, you know, evaluate things that we're doing for, for everybody, myself included. That's what we do. Um, but obviously we didn't, we didn't do enough right tonight. And, you know, Washington was good too. I mean, those two guys um, made a lot of plays. Lopez hurt us around the rim. Bertans hit some big shots, you know, so defensively we just needed to be better. Last question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. When I know that the fourth quarter uh, rally kind of flies in the face of this, but the first three, it kind of seemed like the energy was maybe a little low. Did you get the sense that being down two of your main backcourt guys, you were maybe a little tired tonight? Well, we, you know, we've been playing a lot of games, but so is Washington. And, you know, once you get into the competition of the game, you know, I, I know – regardless of, you know, what level everybody's fatigued throughout the year, both teams, you know, are, are in the same situation. And, um, you know, as much as anything, I think for us, there's a mental component that um, we have to make sure we're just sharper, you know, talk more, more discipline, execution, those types of things. So, um, you know, a conglomeration of all that stuff. There's Quinn Snyder uh, after his team loses 125 to 121. Interesting to hear him talk about uh, fatigue and how everybody's dealing with it. Uh, after uh, tonight's game against Oklahoma City, the Jazz will have played five games in seven nights, which is just nuts. All right, let's hear from the players, or some of them anyway. Let's start things off with Rudy Gobert. Hey, Rudy. We'll get started with Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Rudy, coach said that you guys didn't have the defensive focus that you needed. What do you see as the biggest challenge in guarding fast, speedy guards like you guys played against tonight? Uh, I think they scored 70 points, 70 points in the first half. Um, you know, regardless of what it is, uh, as a team that takes pride in getting stops, you know, it's, it's, it's way too many. And I think we did a better job in the in the second half, you know, and we gave our chance, ourselves a chance to win the game. But uh, I really think our offense affects our defense a lot. You know, we, last two games, I feel like we were a little disconnected offensively. And, uh, you know, for some reason, uh, 
you know, it, it really affects our defense. So, you know, gonna watch film and uh, and see what's going on. But uh, yeah, it's been a, you know, I feel like in half court, uh, you know, we're doing a decent job, doing a pretty good job making it tough on them, you know, defensively. But uh, they got too many uh, fast break points. I don't know how many, but it felt, it felt like, you know, they, that gave them a lot of life and uh, that gave them a lot of confidence too. And and then, uh, you know, it's against guys that like that that are really good scorers and that are talented too. Uh, it makes it hard on us. Sarah Todd, Desert News. Rudy, is there something going on with your arm? I saw you kind of rubbing your elbow and kind of shaking it out a lot during the game. Is that feeling okay? No, I got uh, Raul hit me on a on a little nerve, so um, I couldn't feel my my arm for a little bit, but just uh, it happens. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. I wanted to ask you in particular about their big men scoring with Daniel Gafford and, and Robin Lopez down low. Uh, what did you see that was getting them so successful of, of looks, and, and what could you guys have done better against those guys in particular? I think they scored a lot. Uh, I mean, Robin hit some tough hooks, and uh, we know he's able to to hit those. You know, he, he just had a little too many of those tonight. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it was mostly of, uh, of rest. And, you know, whether uh, we were a little overhelping or, you know, or sometimes it was just offensive rebounds or, or drop-offs. But, uh, yeah, you know, they just... I think they were just too, too comfortable from the beginning, you know, and uh, and when you have that kind of game, you know, it's the kind of game that everyone is having fun. You know, I think everyone on on the court for them had a little moment, you know, and uh, as a defensive team, we got to pick, we got to gotta give up something, but we can't give up everything. You know, I think every one of their players, like Bertans, he had like three threes in a row at some point. Uh, we fouled, you know, we, I mean, we did everything that, we take pride at not doing, you know, usually. So, yeah, give them credit, but I think we we didn't start the game with the focus that we should have. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Rudy, I know that uh, you guys will never use fatigue as an excuse, but playing your fourth game in six nights without Mike, without Jordan tonight... <laughs> Is there a little bit of tiredness that was going on for those first few quarters that you guys had to kind of fight your way through? I mean, there is. You know, there is. I mean, I, uh, I, I've been taking a lot of pride in trying to not miss any games. You know, uh, I mean, a lot of guys, you know, when they're a little tired, um, specifically on other teams, you know, young guys too, like they're a little tired, they, they take some games off and, they want to make sure they have their legs for the for the next game. Uh, you know, if I'm tired, if I'm, you know, beat up, uh, I try to be there for my team. And, you know, I try to not show it, <laughs> you know, like uh, because I need to be the anchor of the defense. So I, I try to not show it. But, uh, yeah, it's been NBA season, you know, and this one has been a little more uh, condensed. So there's more games, obviously. But, uh, you know, when at the end of the day, I think we're going to have to be smart because the goal is for us to be fresh for the playoffs, but at the same time to, you know, uh, keep competing and, uh, and more importantly, keep getting better.
There's Rudy Gobert, who had 12 and 12 to go along with three assists. No blocks for Rudy last night. Uh, You heard him talk about the first half, obviously frustrated. The Jazz gave up 70 points in the first half, and they only got consecutive stops once in that half of play, which is pretty remarkable. Let's now hear from Boyan Bogdanovich. Okay, we'll start with David James, KUTV. Boyan, what went wrong in the first half uh, defensively as you gave up 70 points there? What did you think the main problems were? I mean, we, we just played to motion. We were not uh, we were not resistant defensively. They didn't even shot too many trees first half. So, so we was just just bad defensively. When you allow someone to score, I think seventy or more than seventy points in in first half, if if it's tough to tough to win the game. Maxime Lagorgeous, the free agent out of France. Um, oh, how do you? manage uh, the piece of the game uh, because they use a lot of uh, fast break points and uh, how do you deal with it? Uh, our defense defense transition or, or our, our offense transition? I couldn't hear you, sorry. Uh, yes, the defense. Your defense, uh, when you go back in defense on the fast break from the wizard. I mean, on the defensive transition, we gotta, we gotta. Sometimes you gotta play better, better offense or attack offensive, offensive board to stop to stop their, their their transition transition offense. And we know how good uh, Russ is in, in transition handling the ball or, or Bradley Beal. But if you ask me about our our offensive transition that we are that we are doing great job for whole season when you are when you are receiving. 70 points in in the first half if it, it's tough to run offensively so that was the that was the, the biggest key why we lost the game there's Bogdanovich, 33 points on 10 of 18 shooting 6 of 10 from 3 and as uh, Boyan has had uh, some struggles recently shooting the basketball uh, it was good to see him uh, make a few uh, last night and had a really nice night let's uh, let's wrap up uh, the player sound and hear from Donovan Mitchell We'll get started with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Don. So you guys are playing your fourth game in six nights. You're missing Mike. You're missing Jordan. Was there a fatigue factor that set in at some point tonight? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm not blaming the loss on that, though. But there definitely was a, a moment of – a few moments of fatigue. Uh, but, you know, we got to play through that. You know, that Washington didn't care. You know, the OKC is not going to care. So we got to be able to play through that and play through that. Um, it's 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 easy to forget that this season is what it is. But, you know, for us, we've been we've been rolling all year and there's going to be games where we're tough. There's going to be moments where we're tired and there's going to be a stretches, you know, where we're tired, you know, throughout games. And we've got to find ways to fight through it. And, you know, we'll bounce back and, and get ready for tomorrow. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. The coach commented on the lack of defensive focus. Do you notice a common theme uh, that stands out defensively, not just in regards to tonight, but uh, other nights as well in terms of your defensive focus? I think the biggest thing for us is just coming out the gate with the mindset. You know, um, I can't say we had that throughout the whole game. We, we got there, you know, but, you know, we can't – when you have two, you know, elite guards – 
uh, attacking the way they do and getting shots the way they do. We got to all be connected and all be locked in. It can't just rely on just Royce or just Rudy or or whatever. We all got to be focused in, whether it's getting back in transition, uh, stunning at the ball. And I think that has to be our focus from the jump. And I don't think we did that tonight. We gave up 70, point, 70 points in the first half. Um, that's not like us. Um, and we got to be able to to find that. And I think the biggest thing is just coming out with that from the jump, you know, not trying to just go out there and outscore people. Um, and I think, you know, it's nothing to overreact to, but understand that, you know, it's happened a few times this week or so, and we got to just go out there from the jump and just understand that that's what we need to be, uh, our defensive efforts and defensive focus, and then everything will take care of itself. Matt Coles, AP. There was a stretch there during the game where I think you missed 11 or 12 field goals in a row, and the camera caught you on the bench with uh, Mike giving you a talking to, and it looked like you were just kind of trying to take it in, staring into space. As a scorer, what's going through your mind during stretches like that? Um, to be honest with you, I felt like it was 20 in a row. Um, I don't say that often. Usually I'm always on to the next shot, but it definitely felt like you could feel it. You know, I could feel it. And the what I was upset about was not the misses. Um, if you guys go back and look, what I was upset about was the reads. You know, some of their guys were open on shots that I took, and that's what really pissed me off. Um, just because I expect better of myself. Um, and I hold myself to a high standard in that regard. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, the shots, there are certain shots I took out of those 12 I make, you know, no problem. But it was the, the reads that I missed finding guys. That was really where I was angry and frustrated, you know. But I have some of the best teammates, man, who continue to tell me that it's okay and play through it and, you know, just tell me to look out for it, you know. And I think we, we got there throughout the throughout the game. Um, and there was still stuff that I missed and I wasn't particularly happy with my reads tonight. And, you know, that's, that's really, you know, the loss is a loss, but for me personally, I feel like I let the guys down in that regard. You know, I feel like I've been doing a solid job of that this year. Um, and I feel like that was really where my anger was coming from because I expect better of myself in that regard. And, you know, I'll be better. Last one, Sarah Todd, Desert News. Donovan, you, you are usually a guy that says, you know, move on to the next shot. But with that frustration and that anger tonight, do you think that, that you let the offense kind of affect the defense? Me personally or the team? You personally or me? I mean, even as the team both? Um, I wouldn't say that. You know, there's times where you can see it. I, w I didn't feel that tonight with us as a group. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that way personally. Um I, I can I can uh, definitely say there's been times where that's been the case throughout the year and throughout my career, but I wouldn't say tonight that was that was the case. You know, we found ways to fight through it. We found ways to continue to play through it. You know, we got down 15 at one point for us to lose by, you know, four. We, we did a lot of good things in the span of five minutes um, or six minutes, whatever it was. And I think that's really where our focus is. And we did a lot of things. We ramped it up, you know, as the game, as the fourth quarter progressed. Uh, but I wouldn't say it took away from our – defense, you know, because we scored 65 points to start the game, you know, in the first half. Uh, so our offense was flowing. It was just a matter of, you know, being able to get stops and focusing on the little things on the defensive end that we kind of got away from it. As the game progressed, we did a we did a better job, but um, I wouldn't say that took away from what we're doing on the other end. There's Donovan Mitchell. Donovan, again, is, is just on fire right now. 42 points for Donovan. 14 of 32 shooting. Uh, 4 of 11 from 3. 10 of 12 from the line. 6 assists and 3 rebounds. Up next for the Utah Jazz, they take on the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight at Vivint Arena. That game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 6. There is the best of the postgame show when we come back. 
What is trending? All the headlines are on the way. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Beal off a screen by Lynn for three. It's there. Oh, ring it up. Bradley Beal, three for the right wing. And Wizards with that biggest lead. Six points now, 63-57. Westford, couple pump fakes. 12-second shot clock, another pump fake. Started by Mia. Only he shoots over him, banks, and scores. Whoa. Seemed like he was toying with him. Inbound to Bradley Beal. That's it. The Wizards win. Oh, this team. This team. This resilience. This determination. Character. This is a character win. The Wizards get the win. 125-121 to end the Jazz 24-game home winning streak that dates back to New Year's Eve. That's a character win. It's also the Wizards' 20th win against 33 losses, but they sweep the two-game series from the Jazz. 70 points in the first half and a 125-121 win. PK, even when the Jazz were scoring 42 in the first quarter, they were struggling to get stops, and that was a theme that continued throughout most of the night. David, I'm going to have to look at the film, and we're going to go over it, and then, and then I'll get back to you. <laughs> when are you planning on going over the film, PK? Today when we gather. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought maybe on the 12th of never. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to look at the film. You know, it was a collective effort. I don't want to single out anybody, uh, all of us. You know, I know we're missing a couple of guys, but it's on all of us, and we'll be better, me included, really, as the morning radio analyst for the ball club. I've, I've got to look at myself and see what I can do. Move your feet, I move your oppor- feet. I had opportunities to set you up, and, you know, I didn't, and that really pissed me off. <laughs> okay, that's a Donovan line. Some of them I can identify, <laughs> not all of them. <laughs> They were coming fast and furious last night, PK. You couldn't get them all. So, and and the thing about it, and I'm going to tell Joe this in, in a couple of days, if uh, somebody says something to make you angry, you know, I get angry too. <laughs> Good. You're going to play the greatest hits, huh? <laughs> Speaking that's of all you could do. Donovan. In times of tragedy, David, that's all you can do is laugh. <laughs> I'm so trouble. Mother Mary comes to me. Sometimes a tragedy, not trouble. Oh, let it be. 42 they lose, points. it's a travel. 42 points for Donovan Mitchell, but offense yeah. wasn't the issue. It was defense. But, so he's got a four-game streak now, averaging a little over 40 points a game. Keeps that going. Oddly, he did it in the first and fourth quarters. Not really much to speak of in the second and third. Well, yeah, because I thought the best defensive effort that Washington had was Quinn Snyder taking him out when he'd scored 14 in a row. Wait until he misses. <laughs> Matt Hartman right there. Well, yeah, how about wait till he misses one? And and I I get that I'm second guessing, but that's my job. I don't make the millions on the first guessing. But, uh, man, gosh, could you just let at least let the quarter finish? Because there wasn't less, there was less than four minutes to go, maybe even three minutes to go. And I know that's what you do, and you got these patterns and all. But how many times you score 14 in a row? After you've just come out and scored at least 35 for the first time in Jazz franchise in three consecutive games since Letter Carrier in 1993 yeah. and all that. And it's easy to say now, I get it, but that's my job. 
and I would have I would have had a hard time taking him out because if if I'm uh, Brooks over there in Washington, I give Quinn Snyder part of the game ball. I don't know if you can divvy it up, but uh, boy, because when he came back in, he didn't have it until the fourth. He didn't. I expect that if you really delved into it, and uh, you know, in the Zoom stuff, you really don't get to delve into it because. The questions, you don't get the follow-ups usually, and then they cut it off. Just after. a quick follow. Yeah, maybe. Not so much with the Jazz. <laughs> Sometimes you get that. Oh, you don't even get a quick follow with the Jazz? Uh, I can't say that it hasn't happened. Come on, they went to you hardest. number two. You could have done your David went, James KUTV. They went to me. Not the zone, KUTV. They went to me number two because at that yeah. moment I was the only other person with my hand up. <laughs> well, I, th- I, I, I always really think of you of number two, though. hey <laughs> That's funny on multiple levels. Think about it, people. There's the PK's number one level of humor. Then there's the bathroom level of humor. There's probably another one I haven't gotten to yet. Well, when I think of you, the Sigledorf family, really the tree, uh, going back to Freddie J and Mila. I don't know your wife. Your mother had a weird first name. I can't remember it. But uh, you know, I, to me, you guys are always number two. You're full of number two, actually. That's how much yeah, I think of yeah, you as more, number two. More bathroom humor. So here's a couple things on Donovan and why he came out. One is, I think, with a couple guys playing in Forrest uh, and Thomas who don't play and Oni who plays a little bit, I think they had pretty carefully staggered the rotation. They wanted to bring him back with some of those guys. And they were also trying not to play him too many minutes, although they ultimately played him 39 minutes. So Right, and a lot of those minutes he was bricking it. And Forrest, do I really want him shooting threes? I mean, really, you could think about it. My headline would be, can't see Forrest for the threes. hey That wasn't a basketball take, people. I was just getting to that line. I just made that up. There you yeah. go, newspaper man. And, I, and I'm writing about Mitchell on his hot streak. We'll post it on the Zone Network, uh, what, uh, 1280 The Zone over there at KSL this morning. And, uh, you know, I'm comparing him to Dwayne Wade. Get this for a headline. Mitchell finding his Wade in the NBA. <laughs> Oh, I still got it. Ah, the puns. Ah, the punishment. Forrest, Thomas, Sony, they ended up playing a total of 34 minutes. They were a combined one for four from the field. So, it Well, was... I'm a doubting Thomas until I see him make shots. But Boom. you know what? I, I was thinking about this, the way the NBA is set up salary-wise. I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, you know, you're going to have your core mm-hmm. and then your end of the bench guys. And this is what they're going to do, you know, because a lot of it is based on the salary structure and you have to have it set up with your top guys and got to filter all the way down to the bottom. And these guys are going to get a lot of playing time, obviously. And so they get in there. I, I mean, I had to look at, uh, man, who's who's this number three dude? I had to double check <laughs> it there for a second. He checked in and my wife, who watches yeah. some but not a lot, and she's like, I don't recognize him. I said, don't worry. I don't either, and neither does anybody else. <laughs> and, but, and to expect them to come in and, and do very, very well, I, I, I think it might be a little unrealistic. Well, I think that that goes to the core of the argument about the buyouts, and we're not hearing a lot about it publicly, but we're hearing the, the national people who have league sources that everybody else is mad at the L.A. and New York markets because they're getting their guys in on the veteran minimum at the end of the bench, and they're star guys who play big games. And they may not have it. You know, Aldridge isn't what he was at his peak. But compared to your guy who hasn't played big games, who you're trying to do homegrown and you find him in the second round or you find him overseas or wherever, it's like, well, they got the advantage there. I mean, the uh, uh, Blake Griffins and uh, Andre Drummond and – 
I think Aldridge are kind of the three big buyouts. There's probably somebody else who I'm forgetting right now. But those guys have way more experience. And honestly, even if they only have 60% of the talent they used to, they still have more talent than the guys you're trying to bring along at 10, 11, and 12. And you can pay your top eight, but after that, you're not going to have much money left. So everybody's on the minimum. And they got experience and you don't. But they aren't coming to your market. They're going to L.A. and New York. All right, Jazz, right back at it. They did talk. They were asked about and said, admitted, yeah, there was some fatigue. Well, get ready for some more fatigue because here come the Oklahoma City Thunder. 7 o'clock tonight, pregame show at 6 o'clock. And for the Wizards, who knows? 2-0 against the Jazz, 6-2 against the Lakers and the Clippers and the Nets and the Jazz, but 5-5 in the last 10. I mean, if you can do it against these teams, why are you having a stretch where you lose 10 out of 12? Of course, when they lost 10 out of 12, one of the two wins, they beat the Jazz. So that's their thing. They're uh, s- struggling to see if they can even make the uh, playing games. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Back to Joel, who circles into the lane on Cauley's time, fakes one way, turns, fadeaway shot from 12, rimming good. Beautiful footwork and touch there by Embiid in the lane. His fifth field goal is 23rd point. 17,782 for Curry. Dribble drive. Curry goes in, drives the layup. It's up and good. And there he is, Stephen Curry. Now the all-time leading scorer in Warriors franchise history. He shines brighter than the Big Dipper as he passes Wilt Chamberlain into history. Rebound down to Jamal Murray. Less than a minute go. Three-pointer would be nice. Murray right to the rack. Gets hammered and he'll go. Oh! They're just oh, going to say hurt. he lost that. That's a challenge. He's hurt. Uh-oh. Jamal's hurt. And he he's grabbing his, his left, left knee. knee. And he is in severe amount of pain. This is a worst-case scenario, sports fans. This is not what you wanted to see. Losing a game is nothing. But losing a star like Jamal Murray would be something. That's the uh, highlights and the low light from the night in the NBA. The Nuggets lose to the Warriors 116-107. Steph Curry became Golden State's all-time leading scorer, passing Wilt Chamberlain. All they need an extra 300 games over Wilt to get by him. And right at the end, Jamal Murray drive into the hoop, and he was hurt. And as they said, obvious pain. PK, I tore my ACL, and I was pounding the ground. And every time, it hurt a lot. It hurt a lot. And every time I see somebody do that, I assume the worst. Waiting to get, you know, the diagnosis and have an MRI, but it looked really bad. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I can't disagree, but we've seen situations where that's not the case. So we I have. don't know. It may not be, and hopefully it won't be. Um, but it looked really bad for Jamal Murray, and obviously that would be a big loss if he's going to be hurt, and we'll see yeah. how long he's going to be out. The uh, West, the contenders in the West, mostly lost last night. The exception was the Suns. They beat the Houston Rockets 126-120. They move with a game and a half of the Jazz. But the Nuggets lose, the Mavericks lose, the Jazz lose, and the Lakers lose. So it was a pretty bad night for the uh, the contenders in the West. Well, the West sucks. <laughs> so the Knicks said after beating the Lakers. Ha! 111-96. Julius Randle went for 34 in that one. The Mavericks lost to the Sixers, another East team in the West, East-West game, and the Sixers won 13-95. Embiid had 36 in that game. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. That was tough. I'm not gonna lie. That was that was a tough part uh, for me. I feel like I'm I'm a planner. Um, I like to have things planned out, and you know, 
what the next step was going to be and and just the uncertainty there was for lack of a better term driving me insane when i found out it was just such a relief um to to just find out the news and, and understand where my where my next stop is going to be that's sam darnold talking about the move from the jets to the panthers and now he's in carolina where he'll be part of a quarterback battle and we'll see how that plays out and if he's the guy in Carolina as they look for a successor to Cam Newton, someone who can get them back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm a Darnold fan. I mean, he's only 23 years old, right? Yep, he's young. Yeah. So well, this is going to be a lot of pressure on, I assume it's going to be Zach Wilson. They don't make that trade unless they're going to take a quarterback, maybe Justin Fields. Uh, but uh, looking at Mel Kuyper's mock draft this morning, he still has Wilson going second. So... Uh, trading somebody, and because then you're going to watch. You know, the Jet fa- Jet fans are going to watch to see what Sam Darnold does down down south a little bit there, because if he blows up in the next year or two, uh, that could put some more pressure. But if Wilson comes in and plays like I think he's capable of, then it doesn't really matter. That's true, and, and Darnold's got to win the job in Carolina, and then he's got to be successful when he does. Uh, but everything is relative. If he's in, if he does win the job in Carolina, and if he's going nine and seven, and they're going to the playoffs now that there's seven playoff teams in the NFC uh, and the AFC as well, but nine and seven's got a better chance of getting in. He doesn't even have to be great if he's nine and seven, and you're four and twelve. It's going to look bad. Yeah, I was thinking right down the line, not necessarily this next season. Patriots star receiver Julian Edelman announced his retirement. Twelve years led the. Helped the Pats win three Super Bowl titles. He was MVP of one of them. So a great career for Julian Edelman. He calls it a day. Brady had nice things to say about him. It's uh, it's hard to believe that a little guy like that, they had a picture of him standing next to Brady, and Brady just towers over him. But he got it done. Great yeah, career. Great career. Saints coach Sean Payton would be portrayed by Kevin James in an upcoming Netflix movie, titled Home Team. Adam Sandler's uh, production company is going to do it. The movie's going to be based on how Peyton wound up serving as an assistant coach on his son's Connor's sixth grade football team in the Dallas area while he was suspended by the NFL in 2012 over Bounty Gate. The movie expects to have a comedic spin rather than, be the, the, rather than be an exact retelling. Now I'm making a documentary here. I didn't hire Kevin James to make a documentary. Uh, yeah, Kevin's a little plump. I don't know. Is Sean that plump? Unless Kevin's lost some weight. Uh, I would think Sean's a little leaner than Kevin, but I haven't seen him side by side. But, yeah, it's my assumption. Kansas City Chiefs assistant, former assistant, Britt Reed has been charged with felony driving while intoxicated for his involvement in a car crash earlier this year that left a five-year-old girl critically injured. Jackson County Prosecutor's Office filed a Class D felony charge Monday, stating Reed operated a motor vehicle limit while under the Influence of alcohol and acted with criminal negligence by driving at an excessive rate of speed. If convicted, Reed would face a maximum sentence of seven years in prison. Reed surrendered to police yesterday and was released after posting a $100,000 bond. There have been some reports that Adderall may or may not be involved in all this, too. I assume they're going to get to the bottom of all of that as this progresses. So, 
Well, the law's the law, and he needs to be treated uh, and held accountable for it, just like anybody else would. Yeah, I read one story. There's some people thinking that he wasn't charged with as much, and the prosecutor's office responded saying that the state laws had changed and they had prosecuted him as much as they could. It must be some double indemnity stuff or something. I don't know. They well, I would think so it. with such a high-profile yeah. thing. And it's another case of nepotism, and this nepotism has gone bad. Yep. Yes, coaches making sure coaches' sons get into coaching. There's been a lot of that. It's another example. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. One, two to Higgy. And he swings, lifts a high drive to left center. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. It hit off the scoreboard way in back of the stands. Another home run. Kyle makes you smile. <laughs> Higashioka, the home run stroker. And the Yankees take a 3-1 lead. Here's a fly ball off the bat of Akil Badu. This one's deep. Straw going back, looking up, and it's gone! A home run! <laughs> Akil Badu! Bado swings, and he puts a charge into one. Deep right field, way back, gone! Flashdown! Into the water and right, McCovey Cove. And Votto has his first home run of the year and makes it 3 nothing Reds. And that was the final score as the Reds beat the Giants 3-0. Cincinnati off to a 7-3 start. Joey Votto with the splashdown in McCovey Cove. And I was thinking about this. Best home runs in baseball, PK. Uh, Over the green monster at Fenway. The splashdown in San Francisco. Maybe the upper deck down the line and into the upper deck at Yankee Stadium. You got any others that would feel special? Well, you got the pool in Arizona. That's kind of an oddity. Uh, I think in the bullpens in Dodger Stadium, with them right being down uh, the left field, a little off the line. So we've seen that when hitting the bullpens, especially if it's uh, a Dodger player hitting it in the bullpen and a Dodger reliever or somebody out there catches it. So you've got that. I mean, all home runs are obviously what you're what you're looking for. Uh, I, I like the ones that uh, sometimes too. You know, did did the outfielder catch it? You're not sure for a split second mm-hmm. as he leaps up. That's why I said all outfield fences should be no higher than eight feet. Obviously, Fenway, you got that. But uh, everybody else, and the old ballparks in, in Wrigley with the uh, with the Ivy. And Wrigley, you can hit it out of the stadium many times over. And depending on the nature oh, yeah. of the game and how big it is, you got the fans that are on the street back there. And they go racing after the ball. So uh, those are fun. And then you got a lot of them where they have the batter's eye and they hit it in center field, dead center, and then somebody from either the left field or right field jumps over and runs after it. Hmm. Put it out onto Sheffield or Waveland Avenue. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a that'd yeah. be a good one right there. Yeah. I hit one onto Waveland. Be good to be an ex be a retired major league and be able to say that. That'd be good. Sure. Yeah, it'd be fun. Shohei Otani driving in three runs. Mike Trout hit a two run homer. Flash that million-dollar smile in the dugout. The multi-million-dollar smile. Angels beat the Royals 10-3. to Yeah, Angels looking good, man. Maybe they can get into first place. I mean, get in the playoffs. They're already there, but uh, yeah. first place. But uh, when we get to uh, October, it'll be good to see them get in the postseason. 7-3, and three, leading their division. The Yankee highlight we heard in all of there. Uh, Garrett Cole getting a W. Yankees are 5-5. Five and five. It's a team that was supposed to be one of the top two or three teams in baseball with the Dodgers, the favorite, but the, the Padres and the Yankees probably right behind them. And the 
Yankees up to a 5-5 five and five start. Long way to go, but kind of, eh. Eh. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Barry Trammell, sports columnist for the Oklahoman. And NewsOK.com is going to join us next. And we got Utah football availability today. Kyle Whittingham, Jim Harding, Charlie Brewer, and Nick Ford all coming up at 8 o'clock. Stay with us. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotting and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest-rated, most listened-to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hot takes or toast? is brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed. Luxury has not. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Signer Cadillac today. All right, hot takes or toast, PK? You got any hot takes after the Jazz disappointing loss? Or, we write this off, they weren't going to win them all. They still have lost fewer games than anybody in the league. And we're a little spoiled as a fan base. And suck it up. You've got to lose some games. Deal with it. Uh, well, I, I'm going to stay in the moment without overreacting. I think that's the key here. I think that's what Quinn Snyder is trying to get across. You don't go crazy. You do have big picture in mind. But at the same time, you have to look at what went wrong in this particular game. And a lot of times you come on the air and you look at the point total and just say that was bad defense. And I say, oh, the other team made shots. Mm-hmm. And so we disagree. But not in this time, man. You know, that first half, the abomination of defense was right there, it's particularly at the rim. You know, allowing yep. Robin Lopez with that awkward, goofy-looking hook shot from his hip uh, was really just bugging me, man. And they let some guys, you know, Beal and Westbrook, they, they're who they are, and we all know that, and they're going to get going. And, and Westbrook is a great front runner, and when things are going well, he's jawing and, you know, looking great and playing with such anger. And Bradley Beal's a smooth scorer, so that that – those are commodities. But there's some of these other guys that uh, you let go off a little bit. Joe fouling Bertans on a four-point play in, in the second half. And the first half, the defense, the defense, particularly in the paint, was just atrocious. You've got you to be better than that. So I, I don't want to make a huge deal, but at the same time, I just don't want to blow it off and slough it off and say, oh, on to the next one, no worries. So many layups and dunks in the first half. And I thought yeah. the one point Quinn did make is that some of that was transition issues. Uh, they were getting beat on the break. Some places where the turnovers happened on the court, there was nothing that could be done. Other times, it really was breakdowns in the half court. And the thing about the third quarter when, they made the, when the Jazz made their run is for uh, about five or six minutes there, they did a good job of getting Oklahoma City to take a bunch of 15 and 18 footers. And a few of them went in, and there were a couple trips to the free throw line, uh, but there were a lot of missed mid-range twos. So, 
Right back at it for the Utah Jazz. Now they get Oklahoma City and joining us now once again, one of our favorites from the Oklahoman and NewsOK.com, Barry Trammell, sports columnist. Barry, good morning. How are you guys doing in Salt Lake? Can you believe believe it's been three years since that morning I came up and did the show with you? That was fun. That's three years ago. (laughs) Crying out loud. Time, Time flies, right? And so, sure do. yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's odd how people cross paths. Um, Maddie Lee worked here and worked there for a while, and I saw her at a game here and said, "You know Barry Trammell," and I got five minutes about what an awesome guy you are. <laughs> well, we loved her for crying out loud. Well, now she's working at Wrigley Field covering the Cubs. So. Yeah, she's covering baseball, which yeah. uh, I guess going to Wrigley. If you Wrigley Field your office, I guess life could be worse. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. You know, you're covering the Thunder, and they come in here with uh, with an unusual team. And before we get to the players and all that, I'm just wondering what the take is on a rebuild that brings in. It's not that there isn't some exciting young talent in Oklahoma City, because there is. But the future is resting on 34 draft picks over like the next seven years. 17 first rounders, 17 second rounders. Does this excite people? Are they thinking they're going to be great trades? Are they thinking they're going to sort through this and end up with some high lottery picks? Some things will break your way at some point. How do people view 34 picks? Because I don't think I've ever talked about an NBA team with that many draft picks. Well, 34 draft picks is the ticket to a Super Bowl championship. I don't know that it gets you to the NBA Finals. Um, you know, if you, if you had a football team, you'd say, well, we're going to use all 34 of these picks. You can't use all 34 picks. There's only, there's only 17 roster spots counting two-way players. So clearly the Thunder's going to have to, you know, do something with them. In terms of what the fans think, it all depends on what kind of fan you are. If you're a deep you know, if you're sort of a deep state fan that sort of knows what's going on and understands, you're sort of excited and thrilled. If you're one of those marginal fans that just like to watch the games and see them win, you have no idea what's going on and don't know why Why, why isn't Al Horford playing. He's one of the better players on the team. And why doesn't Shea Gilgis-Alexander tough it out and play with that foot injury? And who are these guys they just signed off the street? So... You know, it just depends on how invested you are. Now, the question becomes, how long do those deep investors stick with this plan? How long are they willing to go through a, a year in which the Thunders, what have they lost, six in a row, I think? I can't remember, but they're all, they've are all they lost uh, five of six by at least 20 points. They got beat by 37 and 29, I think it was, on back-to-back nights last week just miserable basketball um the good news for the thunder is a perfect year if you're going to stink stink in a pandemic year when nobody can go to the games when everything's turned upside down anyway but you know they're they're going to struggle again next year no doubt about it so the question becomes and utah went through this a little bit is, is how much how long of a runway do you have to tank and that's the question we don't know yet about the Thunder. What's your confidence in Presti being able to deliver on these picks? Because it's one thing to have picks, uh, but whether you use them actually drafting players or trading players, whatever it might be, what's your confidence that he could use all this collection to make the right moves and get this team back to where it was? 
oh, really high. You know, he, he, most of his trades have been great. Now, the, you know, the James Harden deal didn't turn out fantastic, but, you know, I mean, they still, it wasn't a total colossal failure. They got Steven Adams in the deal, and he was the defensive cornerstone on, on two Western Conference finals. And a really good player still in the NBA, and and they got draft capital out of that, and uh, traded Adams, you know, four months ago for more draft capital. And, uh, he generally does really well on trades, so we we're pretty sure that he can do the same. The good thing about all these trades is, you know, let's say they end up with the, say they end up with the seventh pick this year. Um, you know, maybe you can maybe you can trade that seventh pick for a fifth pick by throwing in two future draft picks. You know, maybe that's the way you use some of those thirty-four picks is just to improve your draft status in a given year. And you know, nobody knows if you're not picking Anthony Davis or or LeBron James. You know, the draft can be a, a crapshoot. Um, you know, we we know that. You know, this year, who knows? Who knows how uh, how uh, Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman are going to end up? You know, they went one two. How they are they going to be long term stars in the NBA? Maybe, maybe not. So you never know. So even if you're picking four or six or eight, you know, there's no that's no guarantee you won't get a star. But um, the idea that you have 34 and you're going to get you know, a couple of first-round picks on average per year doubles your chances to to strike it rich. So it's you know the the future looks great for the Thunder. It's just that the the present is not so much. So the Thunder coming in with the exact same record as the Wizards: twenty wins, thirty-three losses. The Wizards beat the Jazz twice this year. And you know Russell Westbrook and the chip he can have on his shoulder and what happened with the fan here. The Jazz are always going to get his best shot, regardless of whether he's in Oklahoma City, Houston, Washington, wherever he plays the rest of his career. They're going to get his best shot every time they see him. But does this Thunder team have any capability of doing that? Because six in a row, as you mentioned, and nine out of ten, it really does like we're get, look like we're getting into play out the string territory here. Yeah, no, this they've become fairly non-competitive. Um, you know, they were, they were actually a pretty scrappy team until the last two weeks. I think they were 20 and 24 at one time. Um, they were in position. If they'd have wanted to, they could have made a decent run at the, um, a decent run at that 10th spot, or maybe even the ninth. Um, but then they, tr- they, they sat, Al Horford, they traded George Hill. You know, they clearly are not trying to win. SGA, Shea Gilgis Alexander is not playing. Um, and they got all hands on deck. They're fairly mediocre. And, you know, mediocre can get you some things done in the NBA. But they're not, you know, they're, 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 they're playing with water guns. Um, they don't really have much going on. They're playing a bunch of guys that aren't really NBA caliber players. And, um, you know, any chance that Utah had of losing this game, I think, was wiped out when Washington beat them because that'll, you know, that'll just make the Jazz sit up and take notice, probably. So, um, you know, the the Thunder's uh, general 
method of playing these days is they're pretty scrappy for the first quarter or half, and then they by the third or fourth quarter they're just getting they're getting bulldozed. It could happen a lot earlier tonight against somebody like the Jazz who are so good. So, yeah, this will this is you know it makes no sense to say this because you know Utah. Um, you know the, the earlier the earlier action between these two teams was really competitive, but this is this is a one sided affair. This is more like a college football game where you sort of know what what the result's going to be before it's played. That's one of the beauties of the NBA. You never really know what's going to happen when you go to the arena, even if it's Jazz Wizards, which has no business being a, a tight game, but was or uh, you know an upset victory. You pretty much know tonight. This is not. This is not a winnable game for Oklahoma City. You look at the guard line with uh, what you call him SGA. I like that and uh, Dort. And I, I, I realize the one's not playing there. Are they set there, or do they need improvement there too? Well, those are two really good players. Dort is big time defender, and he's turned out to be a decent scorer. So. Um, he's a steal. You know, he was undrafted last year and um, signed to a, a two-way deal and played a lot in the G League and then ended up starting down the stretch last season. And this year he's been a really solid NBA player, and he's still only 21 years old. And he's a tank of a guy. He's a, you know, he's, he's a linebacker playing, playing guard in the NBA. So he can defend all kinds of people. And um, he's he's getting better on offense, so he's a building block. He's a guy that he could he could be really good on a, even a good team. And I think uh, Gilgis Alexander is a budding star. This guy's averaging twenty three points a game with high efficiency. He's not shooting forty one percent from the field. He's a really big time player. He's an all star caliber player. So that's the building stuff block. Those two guys, and they need more, of course. Um, but that's not a bad way to start. SGA is 22 and Dort is 21. Now, of course, one of the problems we have in Oklahoma City is that when when uh, Kevin Durant uh, and Russell Westbrook were 22 and James Harden and Serge Ibaka were 21, they were in the NBA Finals. So we got a pretty high standard when you look at age development. That's that's something we have to sort of get past. But the, the 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 fact that they've got Gilgis Alexander and Dort that's a very good, a good very good thing to build upon and and, and you know in, in the hopes of being pretty competitive in a couple of years. I want to hit you up on some college football, Barry, because uh, you know you're in the Sooners' backyard right there. So I figure college football is never very far out of your wheelhouse, regardless of what month of the year it is. Charlie Brewer transferred from Baylor to Utah. Kyle Whittingham has been talking him up. Uh, Spring ball, he just, I mean, I know people are positive in spring ball, but Kyle's really positive about him. What did you see from Brewer in the time he was at Baylor? What do you think of him? Charlie Brewer was a very good Big 12 quarterback, which means he's a very good quarterback. We got, you know, we've got high standards for quarterbacks in this league. His his last year at Baylor, 2020 at Baylor, was not that great. Um, Baylor struggled, had COVID issues. Uh, new coach with Dave Aranda, a new system, that kind of thing. And it didn't go great for Brewer. Um, but before that, 
you know, in 2019, he's the quarterback of a team that, that goes to Sugar Bowl. So, um, very tough guy. Not a classic strong arm type quarterback. More of a, you know, more of a uh, gutty, heady um, type quarterback. Guy that just sort of gets the job done. Very good bloodlines. You know, his his dad was a quarterback at Texas. His uh, his great uncle was a uh, halfback at OU, great halfback under Bud Wilkins. And so he's got a long bloodline at uh, knowing what, what to get done. Came from a great high school program in Texas. So he's a winning-type quarterback. I think he could really help just about anybody that needs a quarterback. Um, but for whatever reason, it didn't go great in 2020 at Baker. It wasn't Charlie's fault, I don't think. Nothing really went well there. So I don't claim to be on the inside and know what happened. But I was a little surprised he left because he is such a Texas institution. Um, but um, we'll see how he does at Utah. You know, we've sent – state of Oklahoma sent a couple of quarterbacks out to Utah. Um, oh, the uh, Thompson kid, mm-hmm. uh, Kendall Thompson. And then – uh, Tommy Grady was another one, and neither one did all that great, it didn't seem like. Um, right. Uh, so, um, and I don't know if, if Charlie can, can buck that trend or not, but I he's definitely a good get for Utah. There's no question about that. Anybody that anybody that saw Charlie Brewer play in 2019, I mean, he had he had the Bears on the cusp of a, of a uh, college football playoff berth. They went overtime with OU in the Big 12 title game in 2019, and and would have made the playoffs with a victory. He got hurt in that game. Uh, didn't finish the game. I think it was a concussion, if I remember right. But he was a uh, he was a really good player at Baylor. No question about it. How about that running back pleasure coming over for Utah? Now, I think he's good. Um, he was always one of my favorite. I don't know. You guys are probably too young to remember Ross Porter. Ross Porter was the longtime Los Angeles Dodgers uh, television announcer. Uh, 30 years, worked with Vince Gull and all those guys. Ross is from Oklahoma, and Ross is in his late 80s now. He lives out in Southern California. He emails me all the time. And when Pledger was in high school, he emailed me and said, keep your eye on this kid. He's coming to OU. He goes to my grandson's high school. He's fabulous. So I've always had sort of a particular interest in T.J. Pledger. He came here. The OU tailback room is very crowded. It's hard to hard to get much traction there. But in the last couple of years, he's played a bunch and made a lot of plays, and um, so I think he can. I think he can get some things done at Utah. He's not a bruiser. He is a. You know, he's fairly small for a tailback nowadays. Uh, he's not necessarily a blazer either. He's not going to run away from people. So you think, well, what guy can't run over people? Can't run away from people? What can he do? Well, he can just make people miss. You know, he can. He can turn uh, a three-yard gain into an 11-yard gain, and he can turn a, a one-yard loss into a three-yard gain. And those are valuable, valuable traits to have. So I don't think he's a star. I don't think he's going to come in and rush for 1,700 yards. But I do think he can help Utah. I know he would help Oklahoma. Uh, you know, the Sooners wanted him to stay. So he's a guy I think can, that can make a, uh, a nice difference. Well, I've got you. Let me ask you guys. I don't know the uh, the kid from uh, Utah State who transferred to Oklahoma State. Um, oh, Jalen, uh, 
Oh, what's his name? Oh, crap, the uh, tailback J- from last Jaylen season. Jalen Warren. Uh, Warren. Jalen Warren. How's he? You know, he's he's come to a, uh, the OSU tailback room. How's he going to do in uh, Stillwater? Do you think? You know, that's a good question. Moving from the Mountain West, I think it hurts Utah State losing him. I thought he was good for them. Is he going to step into the Big Twelve? And I don't know what their tailback room is like. How he's going to? Who he's got to compete with? Um, I think I think he'd be good if he were here. Uh, Yak, the first thing Yak said, if he's healthy. That was that was his first take on it. So yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I saw he only he only played three games last season. So um, now I'm just curious. I actually wrote about them the other day, and um, it they got three returning tailbacks that got quite a bit done. So he didn't. It's not like he went to a a desert of tailbacks. So I thought that was interesting. Anytime a a guy transfers and goes to a place that's got some returning players at that position, to me it's sort of impressive. That they're not running from competition, so so that's good. Well, I'll keep an eye on him. If you think that uh, Baylor had a bad year last year, you should have seen Utah State. That was super, <laughs> super disappointing. The levels of yeah. disappointment rolling out of Logan uh, was just one crashing wave of disappointment after another. It was a downer of a year. So yeah. All right. Hey, we appreciate it as always talking to you, Barry. Thanks for coming on the air. Thanks for a little NBA and a little college football. You bet. Good luck to those Jazz. I hope they can. Uh, I hope they can uh, fly the flag at, uh, when uh, here in the middle of the summer. An NBA championship for Salt Lake. Sign me up for it. Okay. Well, there are a lot of people who are willing to sign up for that. Thanks, Barry. You bet. Barry Trammell, columnist and longtime columnist in Oklahoma, has done radio there. Has done a little bit of TV. He's done it all. You can read him at NewsOK.com. Dot com. DJ and PK, we got Utah football availability coming up. Kyle Whittingham and Charlie Brewer among those scheduled to speak. You'll hear them right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Ron Boone, kind enough to join us. I don't think the Jazz guys should be afraid of any team in the NBA right now, the way they're playing. And I'll tell you what I'm, what I'm enjoying right now, this late in the year, is that most teams now are starting to play the Jazz different than what we saw in the beginning of the year. They're making the Jazz make these adjustments to the point where they're taking away the three-point shot. And so they're staying at home, which means that the Jazz have to do things differently. They have to play in a more of a half-court game, and they're still able to make those adjustments and win basketball games. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa, ne- Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call Syringa Networks at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. All right, PK, we got a lot of people weighing in on our Facebook page. Why can't the best team in the NBA beat the lowly Washington Wizards? And Brian says, well, I heard a reporter giving the players the four games in six nights. Fatigue excuse during the press conference, so we'll go with that. Let's use that one. Well, combined with missing two rotation guys, that adds to the minutes and leads to some form of fatigue, although I don't know that that's the reason for all the points that Washington scored in the first half. Was it 70? It was 70 in the first half and then 55 in the second, so the defense was better later when they should have been more fatigued. 
Right, so that's what I'm saying. I don't know that defense, you can apply that in a manner, or fatigue, I should say. I don't know that fatigue, you could apply that in a logical way since they were much better defensively in the second half. I thought the defensive effort in the first half sucked. That's because it did. All right, DJ and PK. Uh, Russ says, in my mind, the NBA no longer exists. Wow, he's blotted it out. After one loss? Uh, it could be, no, or it could be over politics, uh, over no. social justice issues, politics, right, yeah. Could have wiped it away during the, the bubble last year. Well, that's your choice, so fine. Yeah. You have that right to do that. Juro says Russell Westbrook was incredible. Go Jazz, got to win the next one. And Barry Trammell just said, don't worry, you're going to beat Oklahoma City. Playing with water guns. You should, yeah. Yeah, water guns. Wow. They got the same record as the Wizards, but a very different situation. All right, I coming up. Six in a row. Yeah, six in a row, nine out of ten. Coming up, Utah football availability. Kyle Whittingham, top of the hour. Stay with us. DJ PK, Utah media availability. Here's the head coach, Kyle Whittingham. Okay, heading into our last week of spring ball. Uh, it's been a good, uh, productive uh, spring session so far. We've got uh, fairly physical padded practice today. Uh, no padded practice on Thursday, and then we culminate with the uh, spring game on Saturday. Looking forward to getting back in the stadium with uh, at least some fans. Uh, I think we're capped at 6,500 or 7,000 right there, right uh, in that neighborhood. So uh, it'll be uh, good to get in front of fans again. Like I said, I haven't been in front of fans since, uh, what, the season of 19. So uh, it's been, uh, like I said, a lot, a lot of good things have transpired uh, this spring. A lot of players uh, have gotten uh, much better, which is the objective. I mean, you hope you would hope that would happen, and, and it did. Uh, we have identified some some uh, strengths of the team and things that uh, need to continue to be uh, addressed. So that's where we're at, and uh, we're going to make the most of these last three and uh, the spring game. And hopefully, everyone gets a, a good flavor of uh, what we're all about when you when you're able to watch the spring game on Saturday. Questions. First question will come from Trevor Allen, KSLSports.com, followed by Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Good morning, Kyle. How are you? Good. Thank you. Good morning. Um, have, have you already gone through guys that, that you're going to hold out during the, the spring game? Yes, uh, preliminarily. We still haven't finalized that. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in practice today and Thursday. Thing, you know, somebody tweaks an ankle or something that could change uh, what our thought process is. But, but uh, yeah, we've already got a start on that. And, uh, you know, we don't have anything to announce today because, uh, like I said, it's not finalized and, and that will be finalized uh, by Thursday and, and we'll proceed from there. And then to follow up on that, have, uh, you, you've already said Bernard's the, the number one running back. Has Chris Curry or T.J. Pledger made any progress towards getting that, that number one spot or maybe even made a, a push for that number two spot? They, they have definitely closed the gap. Uh, Makai has continued to to perform exceptionally well this spring, though, and so he's he's uh, still the number one tailback. But both Chris and TJ have, have shown a lot of uh, progress, and really uh, what they needed to do was feel comfortable with their assignments and, and uh, their uh, role in the offense, and, and they're starting to do that now and, and really settle in, and they're going to be contributors as well. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, through fall camp. Uh, whether or not we're going to have uh, one tailback at the majority of the reps or, or by committee, we'll see what happens. And that, that uh, you know, it's a good problem to have right now. we got uh, those three guys that we think are all very capable. 
Next up, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Kyle. Good morning. Good morning, Josh. Uh, kind of a bigger picture question. Uh, it sounds like the dead period is finally going to end on June 1st. Uh, assuming that does happen, do you have any inclination of what the calendar or what the rules might look like as you jump back in on June 1st? What we're anticipating is, uh, just as you mentioned, June 1st, things opening back up. We don't anticipate that being a contact period, more of a uh, evaluation period where, or not evaluation, but a period, a quiet period where we can have uh, athletes visit our campus, uh, either officially or unofficially, but we don't anticipate being able to go out and visit other campuses and, and do any off-campus recruiting. Um, we, I think the, the meetings, well, I know the meetings are tomorrow and Thursday, uh, and that's supposed to be addressed. You don't always get all the answers you want uh, in these meetings. Sometimes they delay those answers, but uh, we're anticipating to know a lot more uh, after the meetings uh, culminate on Thursday. And uh, my, the best guess is, like I said, on June 1, we'll go to that period where we can have players back on campus for visits. And uh, there'll probably be another dead period uh, kick in in July sometime. And then hopefully, you know, the, the evaluation period will begin uh, in September again where we can go out and uh, watch high school games and that type of thing. But but uh, to be determined, but uh, that's my best guess as, as to how it's going to uh, unfold. Just to follow that up, obviously things have been um, unorthodox for a year. Kids haven't been on campus. You guys have been doing Zoom calls and, and things of that nature. Is there any element of what you've done for the last year that you would be happy to maybe carry into normal times? Absolutely. And that uh, would start with being able to talk to uh, juniors on the telephone. Uh, whereas before you only had a one call uh, limitation during the spring ball or the spring recruiting window. Uh, we've been able to have several Zoom calls and contacts with uh, with the uh, class of 22 players. And uh, that's something that I hope the NC2A lets us hang on to because I think it's been a good thing. And particularly with the uh, with the early signing date, it lets you get to know these players better and develop a relationship with them. And so hopefully that uh, is here to stay. But, but uh, of course, you know, it's up to them. And we'll find out uh, next few days, hopefully. Next, we'll go to Bill Riley, ESPN 700, followed by Josh Furlong, KSL.com. Morning, Kyle. Morning. So um, we know who your top three wide receivers are, at least from a production standpoint throughout their career. Over this month that you've had practice, has a number four or number five or a hierarchy behind Enos, Covey, and, and Dixon evolved? Yeah, uh, Devon Bailey would be uh, in the number four slot right now. Uh, Money Parks has done some good things, battling for that number five spot. Uh, we've had some other uh, receivers. Kane Savage, uh, who we moved from corner, has, has showed some promise. But uh, right now, there's, uh, you know, those four are, are clearly at the top, uh, the three you mentioned, plus Devon Bailey. And uh, like I've said uh, for a while now, we plan on adding uh, at least one more receiver via the portal. And uh, that will happen uh, – you know, in the next uh, couple months, ideally. And so the, that player can be on campus here for the, for the June workouts. So uh, it's a work in progress, that position group. But uh, they've done a nice job this spring, and they've developed. But uh, we still think that we need to uh, add, uh, like I said, a receiver or two to that group uh, when all is said and done. Next up, Josh Furlong, KSL.com. 
Yeah, Kyle, you kind of touched on this, talking about the receivers, obviously, in the offseason. But after this week, what is the primary objective for your team? Like, what are you, what are you hoping them to kind of accomplish in the summer? Slash, what are you hoping to accomplish as a coaching staff? Okay, well, first of all, they have a lot of downtime. The NCAA mandates uh, what they call discretionary weeks where you have to uh, have no football activities, no organized football activities for them. And so we expect once we're done with spring ball, uh, we'll have exit interviews next week. And then they're really on their own, so to speak, until uh, June 1 when this uh, summer player development starts, uh, Tuesday, June 1. So what we expect between when spring ball is finished in that period is for them to work out on their own and stay in shape and not, not uh, you know, get uh, out of shape. So we got to get them back in shape when they get back. We need to be able to hit the ground running on June 1st with, with a team that's uh, taking care of themselves and ready to, ready to uh, train and, and get after it. And that period is a nine-week period, uh, the summer development. You have uh, nine weeks to work out, eight weeks. You have to give them one week off in that, in that time frame uh, for NC2A rules. And then we'll roll right into fall camp. And uh, then we, you know, that's the, the uh, prelude into the season. So that's, that maps out the next, what, uh, three or four months and, until fall camp starts in August. Following up on that real quick, but how, you know, in your, your, your coaching um, tenure, you know, how, how often do guys go into this summer break and you see a noticeable difference when you come into fall? Is it, is it pretty common or is that something that it really takes a different type of player or, or, or is there much of a difference when you enter into fall? It's very, very common to see some big, see big changes physically, uh, particularly in the younger players that, that haven't developed like some of your older guys. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, a fourth year guy that's becoming a fifth year guy. Uh, doesn't have as much room to develop as as some of those you know, young freshmen that are in your program. So we expect to see a lot of progress, particularly from the younger guys, and adding weight and strength and and uh, getting faster. And and uh, that's part of the process. I mean, you got to continually uh, trying to get better and and uh, trying to uh, get your body ready for a for a uh, Division One football season. We'll go back to Trevor Allen. Where's your depth at, at cornerback now that uh, you have uh, Kane Savage over at, at corner or over at, at wideout? Where where do you how how do you feel about the depth at corner? We feel good about it. We've got uh, Clark Phillips and JT Broughton who are uh, starters on the outside right now. Malone Mata LA is the nickel scheduled to be the nickel. You know, unless somebody uh, beats those guys out, that's how we're going to the fall. Uh, Fabian Marks is doing a nice job on the outside. He'd probably be the first guy in at this point in time. Uh, we've also got Lacari A. Pleasant Johnson, who has really had a good spring and starting to come of age. Uh, Kenzel Lawler on the outside as well. Um, Aaron Lowe backs up Malone Mattaelli at the nickel spot. And then Zamaya Vaughn, who we moved from safety to corner, has uh, transitioned very well to that position. And uh, so, so we feel like we're going to be in, in pretty good shape and uh, we'll add another player or two this summer. And uh, that, that group will be, uh, I think we have scheduled to have 10 scholarship uh, corners in the program by fall. Okay, that was your last question. Thank All right, there is Kyle Whittingham. And uh, how's the depth at corner? Because uh, you moved a guy to wideout. Well, the depth at corner is really good, or he wouldn't have moved a guy, PK. <laughs> what's, uh, what's, sense, yeah. what's the priority? <laughs> corner. Kyle moves guys from offense to defense all the time. The defense to offense move we don't see as often. 
Defense to offense, trying to think of the highest profile guy who did that, and nobody comes to mind. Right. And I will say that, uh, you know, and most of the guys are coming in with an offensive rep from high school. You know, depending on the program, they might be playing two ways. Um, but it's very common to get the best athletes at running back and quarterback and move them to other spots. So, all right, we're getting ready to hear from Jim Harding. Getting ready for some offensive line talk right here. Here's Jim Harding. Those of you who like to ask questions, please use the raise hand feature. We'll start off with Hans Olsen of 97.5 and 12.8 of his own, followed by Trevor Allen, kslsports.com. Go ahead, Hans. Hey, Coach. Uh, just interested to know what went into the shuffling of the offensive line and, and what it was that landed Nick Ford there at the center position eventually. Yeah, that's a um, great question. I, I think really uh, Nick has an extremely high football IQ. Uh, he does a very good job of, of uh, communicating up front. Uh, you know, we had a couple of younger players last year, and he's a really calming uh, presence on the on the sidelines. But, uh, you know, he came in, he, he's played obviously a number of different positions. So that's lent to the uh, ability to, you know, know, uh, the calls and things like that, but he's really done a nice job uh, executing the, the center quarterback exchange as well as, uh, again, the football IQ. Just, it, I think it's a natural fit for him. And just kind of to follow up on that, was there a pretty lengthy conversation to have him come back for another year? Because I, I do know that he's a, a draftable level offensive lineman, or is that all his decision? How does that conversation go? Yeah, so uh, there was discussion between him and his parents in terms of what was best for him. Uh, we sat down. Coach Sharif Shaw recruited him from uh, San Pedro. Uh, myself and Coach Whittingham, we had a Zoom call. Uh, it was over Christmas break and just said, here's why we think you should come back and gave him the, uh, you know, our opinion. Uh, he went back and sat down with his parents and, and obviously chose to come back, which were extremely excited about and, and we just think he can continue to improve his draft stock as uh, as the season plays out. Next up, Trevor Allen, kslsports.com, followed by Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Jim, I wanted to ask about uh, Jaron Kump. I mean, he got he got basically five free games last year without, you know, messing up his uh, his years in college. Um, do you, do you feel like that that benefited him the most among all your players on the offensive line, having that that free year to get all of that experience? Yeah, I think it helped a lot of those guys. Uh, Sakawa Laumei is another kid that came in as a, as a freshman. Even the guys that had played uh, in prior games, I think that that experience um, is invaluable. But certainly in Jaron's case, coming off of a mission, uh, having an opportunity to get a feel for what it takes to play at this level, uh, certainly cannot be understated. But, I, again, I think that uh, it was a huge benefit for, for not only our offensive line, but I would imagine most teams in the country. And then where, where is his uh, progress right now? How, how is he doing in spring ball? He's doing really well. He's, uh, you know, certainly just like all of our guys, we got things that we got to improve upon. But uh, he is making a lot of progress, becoming more comfortable, um, you know, being more assertive in terms of making his calls and, and like you mentioned before, there's a lot of things that he saw in a game uh, that we're seeing from our defense, and his reactions are, are much quicker. And, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, we feel he's going to be a high-level player uh, in this conference. 
Next is Bill Riley, ESPN 700, followed by Steve Bartle from Zone. Morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Um, from where you were in, say, October till now, uh, the names are just about all the same, but where are you from a developmental standpoint and where, you know, you kind of want to have this line to be? Well, I think the biggest thing that's shown through the spring ball is the, the competition. First of all, we're going against an extremely good defensive line. Uh, that's always going to uh, make us uh, have to perform each and every day. But because we have so many guys coming back, uh, I think that there has never been an opportunity this spring for a kid to take a practice off mentally or physically. And so that development, uh, I think, is, is speeding up because each and every day these kids know not only are we, like I said, playing against a really good defensive line, but there's guys that are, are good enough in this room to, uh, to push for starting spots. And so, you know, if I were to, to say right now, um, you know, I think we have eight or nine guys in, in the uh, offensive line that can help us win, uh, which is a great problem to have because obviously you can only play five. So that competition is going to continue to, uh, you know, go all the, all the way through uh, fall camp and into the first week of the season. And to follow that up, is this is this in your time here at least the best, I guess, depth you've had when you look all the way down the roster at the offensive line? Uh, I know that this group doesn't like me to say it, but that 2016 team, we ended up going through four uh, centers, uh, starting out with JJ, or really starting out with Hiva Latui, then JJ, then Lowe, and then we settled on uh, Nick Nowakowski just because of a number of injuries. So, um, you know, that, that offense line was extremely deep. Uh, you know, and I reference that line quite a bit with these guys, but I, I do believe, especially because of how young we are uh, still uh, with the, the COVID year, really, we only have Orlando and Bam are our only seniors. Uh, and I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. And then uh, Nick Ford is our only junior and everybody else is sophomore and below. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of depth and a lot of young depth. So that's a that's a good problem to have. Next up is Steve Bartle from Ute Zone, followed by Hans Olson. Morning, Coach. Good morning. Um, sorry, <laughs> these are always awkward. The, the, the intros, I, I apologize. I know all I can see on the screen is just my picture and then just your guys' name. So it, it's kind of uh, <laughs> a little bit awkward, but uh, nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> um, wanted to ask you about two guys that have been in the program now two years uh, Falcon Kamatule and, and uh, Felix. Uh, Fualalu, uh, just their progress. They were during their recruitment. We always talked about them as being kind of multiple year projects. Just curious to get an update on their progress in the program. Yeah, we knew coming in uh, when they got here that it was going to be a little bit of uh, developmental uh, growing pains. You know, it's going to take a little bit of time, but the Falcons up to actually 291 right now. And uh, I think he's making a lot of progress. Uh, in addition, Luke uh, not only traveled last year, but played on the PAT field goal. Uh, I think that they're, uh, you know, continuing to make progress. Uh, certainly, just like all the guys, have some things to, to improve upon. Uh, but without a doubt, I, I think that uh, they are progressing the way we wanted. And uh, again, just like I mentioned a minute ago, there's a lot of good players in that room. And, and so they're competing to try to get into that you know, top five or, or top 10. So, uh, but I, I do feel uh, they are making progress. Our last two, and then, Hans Olsen and Sammy Mora after a follow-up for Steve Arnold. Again, sorry, Paul. I'm the worst at these, I swear. Um, and 
I swear I ask about this all the time, but uh, Kyle mentioned that Bama Lasseni has been a pleasant surprise this spring camp. Can you talk about what he's specifically showing this camp that that allows him to be a pleasant surprise? I think the biggest thing uh, for him is now that he is in uh, what would be the third year in the system, his mental errors have decreased quite a bit. Uh, the other thing is, and, and I don't say this, uh, I would say it to him and he knows it, his body weight is under control. He's done a much better job of doing what it takes off the field away from this facility. Uh, I want to say he's, he's uh, around 330 now where, where uh, when he first got here, that was certainly uh, an issue for him. Uh, but he has made a lot of progress. And again, you know, he, he's competing against uh, a really good defensive line every single day. And, and there's guys that are in our room that are, are uh, competing for spots as well. But the two biggest things I would say is his comfort level in the system. And then again, uh, just his approach to what he's doing away from the facility uh, when it relates to his body weight is, is, is a huge difference in how well he's performing right now. Go back to Hans Olsen. Coach, we see defensive linemen enter into the transfer portal and wide receivers. We don't see a lot of offensive linemen enter into transfer portals. I'm curious how you manage kind of their expectations as a starter and how you keep them unified. And, and I'm just interested, why don't we see as many offensive linemen as we do maybe specialty positions? Well, uh to be completely honest, that, that is something that does concern me with the uh, youth in our room and the amount of good players we do have. Uh, but what, what I've tried to do this spring is talk about, and in fact, we, we talked about it yesterday in our meeting, it's going to take 10 to 12 guys when it's all said and done for us to get done what we want to uh, this season. And that might be because of injuries. That might be because, con you know, continued competition throughout the season. Um, and so we talk about everybody owning their role. Everybody has an important role to play. And, and some of you get, you know, some of the guys may not necessarily like their role as it sits right now. But the great thing is, and I think the players believe this, is they're controlling who's playing. You know, we, Coach Whittingham uh, and the rest of the staff, you know, we're not interested in who's playing. We're just, you know, our job is to play the best players. And so really they are controlling how much uh, they're playing, what their role is. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the general overall question, uh, you know, I think offense alignment in general, uh, as you know, probably as well as anyone on here, you know, there's a different, uh, you know, pride factor. There's a, a, you know, there's kind of an us versus them mentality. You know, the offense line a lot of times is, is uh, not necessarily the, the people to get the, the you know, most accolades and things like that. So I think that there's a camaraderie that's built in the offensive line room. And, and my hope is, is that I've, uh, you know, done a good enough job of doing that, that we can keep uh, our linemen here because I, I think every one of them, like I mentioned, play an important role in, in not only this season, but the future of the program. Last question comes from Sammy Mora. Morning, Coach. So you've already talked about how you only have those three upperclassmen leading this room. What have those three done to mentor and teach this young room what will fly and what won't fly when it comes to Utah football? Yeah, I, I, you know, Bam is it's still, even though he's an upperclassman, it, it's still somewhat new to the program. But Orlando and, and uh, Nick both have been voted – uh, on our leadership council, Nick uh, voted for uh, captain this spring. And, and so, 
you know, really I will have a separate text thread. Coach Whittingham meets with our leadership uh, council as well. But even in our particular room, I really, um, and I know Nick's sitting right here, and, and so I'm not saying this because he's just in the room, but but I'm I'm on him all the time about, you know, being positive in the huddle, his uh, his body language, how we're going to approach practice. And so I, I really have forced uh, both he and Orlando to to really, you know, kind of put aside their, um, you know, their wishes or, you know, hey, I may not have this bump or I may have this bump or bruise, but but it's more important to get the rest of the guys in the room. And so I know that that those guys meet regularly uh, on their own. And a lot of times those are organized by by those leaders in, in the room. And so uh, really it's it's. Uh, you know, they're being forced to do it just because we are so young, but but they've done a great job uh, through what four four months of the of the calendar year so far. So we got to continue to do that um, once people break for for uh, May and getting back in the summer. All right, there is Jim Harding standing up to leave the O-line coach. A lot of O-line talk right there, PK. And the fact that he thinks he's got eight or nine guys already locked in and maybe a couple more who can progress. You know, can the Utes reload rather than rebuild? Well, it's pretty clear they could be losing three guys here with two seniors and Nick Ford is a junior already thinking about coming out. But, man, if you're looking long-term, it looks like the O-line's set up in a pretty good place. Oh, Dave, it, it's so strong. Uh, what else can you say? I mean, what needs to say? What needs? What else needs to be said? You tell me right now. You got anything? Charlie Brewer and Nick Ford are coming up. We'll hear from them. We've got more on the Jazz going back-to-back. If they were fatigued last night, how will they be against Oklahoma City tonight? Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. out there, PK, because I asked a question. What you guys do? Well, I asked a question at the end, and then I had to, this is technology and live Zoom and commercial breaks. I wanted Nick to go into why he decided to come back and not go pro, because Jim Harding said he considered it, and so what went into that? And so then I have to, because technically to go on the air, I have to turn the volume down so I can't hear the answer. I don't want to go into it, but it would mess it up. We'd have feedback. It'd be terrible. So, Yach... (laughs) is recording in there, and he can't start the segment until Nick's done with the answer. And Nick apparently really went in-depth, although I haven't heard the answer yet, but apparently he did. Yach's like, i got to restart the music. Nick's still going. (laughs) So we need to hear the fight song twice? (laughs) Well, he didn't have anything to go to, or he just had to come into like the last 20 seconds of Nick's press conference. Oh, that was good times. (sighs) Zooming during the show. Nobody trained for this, PK. (laughs) Technically, it was a little overwhelming. So the band got a workout. Line talk, yeah, great, great. <laughs> Come back, people. 
Charlie Brewer, the quarterback, is coming up here momentarily. We heard from uh, Barry Trammell, who said he was a good Big 12 quarterback, which means he's a good quarterback. He did say the last year was a mess. He didn't think that was on Charlie. Baylor had COVID issues. Baylor had a new coach, and it didn't go the way anybody wanted. I think they went 2-7, and seven, uh, which, is, uh, which is pretty tough when you're coming off a Sugar Bowl season. That's a, that's a pretty big fall right there. So Charlie Brewer's media availability is coming up momentarily. Now, are you going to ask questions, or what, what's the story here? I mean, I what know. do I, what, I got to listen to the fight song? <laughs> this will be live. It'll be a different deal. Oh, <laughs> Nick went all yeah. the way through the commercial break. <laughs> freak. Oh, man. All right, uh, while we wait for Charlie Brewer, we've also got uh, the NBA, the Jazz losing last night, and we will get to uh, more on the defeat there and why can't the best team in the NBA beat the lowly Washington Wizards who have 20 wins and 33 losses, but are miraculously 6-2 and two against the Clippers and Lakers and the Jazz and the Nets. So go figure. Apparently they get up for the big games. Uh, Brent wrote it off, PK, said two of our key guys were out. It makes a big difference. Uh, their all-stars are really good. It's a good thing Bogey was lights out. We're fine. Yeah, lost in all of that is uh, Bogey. Is that, is that the end of the slump and the, the return to uh, Bogey's greatness? Because he's filling it up, finished with 33 points and was, uh, and was hitting his threes in rhythm, looked really comfortable. And they were going in. Well, if you're looking for positive signs, that's obviously one of them. Scott says, for some dumb reason, we pull out a guy who's going off, and then we put him back in when he's cooled off. I'll never understand why you take out a guy who's lighting the other team up. Yeah, I thought Quinn Snyder's defense on Donovan Mitchell was excellent there <laughs> in the first set quarter. Remind you of the old, uh, the only person who can hold Michael Jordan under 20 is Dean Smith? hey Yeah, I mean, wow. That was, uh, I think I probably would have left him in, but I'm just a Yahoo. What do I know? Uh, it seemed like he had it going on, 14 consecutive points. And so uh, there you go. And then he comes off and doesn't uh, regain his rhythm in terms of making baskets until the end. And then, then he was sensational again. Yeah. Finishing 42, you know. It's pretty good. I don't know that the offense was the problem in the game anyway, so you can say that. Uh, but I think he missed like 12 in a row, which was unusual. And then still have the night that he had while missing 12 in a row <laughs> is even more incredible. But there probably was more shots available with uh, Conley and Clarkson out. So but it's not like he had an awful percentage either. So he's, he's just a terrific player. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but uh, they need to just do something uh, better as far as defense, particularly at the points in the paint. There was atro- it was atrocious, and we're so used to them being good in that way that when they aren't, it really it's like it sticks out doubly. Yep, absolutely agree with that. Uh, 42 points in 39 minutes for Mitchell. And, uh, and he still had six assists in the game on, on top of all of that. But you're right. No Clarkson. He's going to take a lot of shots. Conley takes a decent number of shots as well. So there were certainly more shots available. Bogey got 18 and Ingles got 16. So those guys were, were letting it fly. But the problem was at the other end of the court. And there were just uh, too many big quarters. A 70-point half really turns heads. When, when the Jazz whole team's under 110 points, their record is excellent. You get in that 110 to 120 range, they're pretty much a 500 club. And you get over 120, they're going to lose. You know, they haven't done a lot this year, but basically half their losses this year are when they give up 120 points or more. It's, you know, you can draw a straight line from one thing to the other. Uh, well, 
I think that's probably the straight line on every team in the league, though. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go through it and let you nerds figure that out. I'm not going to go through it either. I think that goes back to your point that their interior defense is so good and enables guys to really defend the three-point line, so there just aren't that many times when a team gets to 120. And sometimes other teams get hot, like the Dallas game of last week, whenever it was, but I, I didn't think that was the case. I mean, Robin Lopez with that sweeping slow motion hook. Everybody likes to say slow mo Joe. Robin Lopez makes uh, Joe Ingles look like he's uh, Yosemite Sam there, uh, and he still put it in. And he's a, he's a veteran player, been in the league for many, many years now, but still that bothered me. Uh, the good thing about Bogdanovich, is, as I look long term, is that he did go through a prolonged shooting slump, which for him, you know, he acknowledged it's the worst it had ever been. But the good thing about him is that he's decided to be aggressive and taking the ball to the basket. So with that in mind, if he's hitting his threes again, he still has that other game that, you know, obviously it's been there, but we hadn't seen it as much. And we've seen it the last several weeks of him taking guys off the dribble, getting down low, using his size and his ability and his skill and all that stuff. So he he can go to that with confidence. And then if he's regaining his confidence from the perimeter – then he becomes even more difficult to defend, which is obviously great news for the Jazz. So we'll have to see. That's something to develop because watching him try to find other ways to score when the outside shot wasn't hit, wasn't going, has actually been a benefit and a plus because he's been he's been better at that, best we've seen in the year and a half or so or almost two years that he's been with the team. So I look forward to him continuing that as part of his arsenal and also, of course, making the three. More, more choices you got, more options. It's always good in life, and it's good in the NBA. And now Bogey's got more options. We've seen Donovan Mitchell uh, expand what he's able to do. More options, more options, more options. We got more people weighing in on uh, Facebook here. Uh, Jason says, it reminds me of the times when we had trouble beating the pesky Timberwolves. We will be okay. I realize that's just an expression, but people don't want okay, PK. They want greatness. They want it now. It's an opportunity. Lots of teams struggling with injuries, and the Jazz have a very good team. So strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, I understand all that, and that that's fine. And losing to Washington, losing them twice, you know, you don't think that's a good news. I, I understand that. But when we get to the postseason, you get a reset. And from that point, that whatever obsession we have over losses and wins now – is going to pale in comparison to what happens when we get to the postseason in uh, over a, just a little over a month now. So uh, worry about that then uh, compared to the worry now. The worry then would be far greater. And the good thing is that you know they've got they've got so many games coming at you that they can wash that taste right out. If they were to lose tonight, then it would be panic time. We'd all be running through the streets of whatever city you're in. <laughs> this is some scene out of a movie. What's your favorite favorite movie panic scene? <laughs> Semi-pro from Will Ferrell. Everybody well, panic! I mean, of course, that, that's the one, yeah. Specifically, we all go to back that one because he uses that very word. So, uh, yeah, I would anticipate that they would win tonight uh, with, uh, I assume Conley's going to be back. I don't know about Clarkson, if there's any doubt, I'd I'd sit him there, and then we get to be entertained by whatever get-up he's wearing over there on the sidelines. Uh, so uh, you've got that, and then you got two days off until what? They play Friday. Uh, yeah, they got Friday and Saturday afternoon games. Really weird, but like a one o'clock game, and then a two thirty game. You don't see that very often, but 
It's a crazy year. What are you going to do? Well, I guess once you have the Saturday matinee, you have to have the Friday matinee because there, there's NBA rules against well, you. Know. So it's a way to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Play seven we talked about that night. last week when you were gone. Yeah. That uh, that was really bizarre. And I thought, uh, when, it, when have they ever had a uh, weekday matinee? You know, they have that in baseball. Yeah. Obviously in football, they play during the day. So I think it's probably because of the travel situation there. So they can get to, to Los Angeles. They can be on the plane by 5 o'clock uh, if they want and, and get in and be at their hotel by 8 o'clock at the latest, which would give them the normal rest time to be ready to go for a back-to-back. So I assume that's why they're doing it. It would be fun to have them play on a Friday afternoon, though. Uh, watch that. and It's a little bit it's, – it's different. And, you know, my job is uh, to watch them when they play so I don't have to worry about work because that is work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that works, out, that works out well for me, which is, you know, one of the things I'm very interested in, having things work out well for me. So I would assume Conley would be back tonight. But, but the good thing that I've seen from this ball club – uh, is that when they've had a slip-up, they, they've seemed to respond. You know, the, uh, the Phoenix game wasn't uh, losing in overtime to a team that has the second-best record. It's not exactly a slip-up uh, last Wednesday, right? They didn't win the game. But it wasn't, it wasn't horrendous, like, oh, my gosh, how could you possibly do that? And then we're thinking that they got a scheduled loss against Portland. Well, no, not at all. Actually, run Portland off the court basically when going away. I heard Damon Lillard say we, we get basically pasted when we play the best teams in the league. And that was a telling statement by him. True, obviously. And he went through and he talked about that stuff. So, my point is that when we've sort of to a degree, not completely, it's not a big count out, but when we counted out the Jazz as far as their chances of winning, they've come back and they've won. Now, I'm not going to count them out against Oklahoma City, a team that sucks right now. That's too extreme. But the point is that they've rebounded well from losses and have really had no prolonged streak so far well into the season and plus 50 games on a 72-game schedule. So that's a good sign because obviously you're going to lose in the playoffs, right? You're not, I seriously doubt they're going to go 16-0 and to win the title. It's not going to happen. But they've been able to, whether it's through film work or more concentration and focus, whatever it is, they've managed to bounce back quick. I think those two things are important, and then I'd have to also circle the law of numbers. No law of numbers. Absolutely. No I love the law of numbers. I know Matt. How are you circling them? I know Matt didn't mean to say law of numbers, but I'm really enjoying the fact he did. That's an expression that needs to get a little more traction. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad he threw that out there. Way to take one for the so, team, Matt. Because explain I think, your point on that. Because I think that uh, as much as we focus on the defensive end, and I get why we do, and it certainly bears out in the results, and if we try to focus on anything else, Quinn will redirect us in the post-game yeah. Zoom sessions, and, and I right. get all of that. But there are teams losing because the offensive end of the floor, and it doesn't happen to the Jazz a lot because there are a lot of different guys who can score. They've got some high-end guys who are very efficient. You know, Donovan Mitchell, you can't tell by looking at the box score that he went out there and couldn't make a shot for 10 or 20 minutes. And no. you just you can't tell by looking at the box score because although he was ice cold in the middle of the game, he was red hot at the start and at the end. And it comes back yeah. to because he's really good, the law of averages, or aka the law of numbers, it's gonna work out keep going. And we've seen that with the jazz shooting. You know, they'll have a bad quarter, but they'll have a great quarter. They'll have a couple guys off because there's five or six guys you really trust to shoot the three. Even though Bogey had this prolonged slump, 
it didn't lead to this uh, massive drop in the standings where they dropped a third in the West, you know, because there are other guys who can produce. And so the, the law of numbers works out for them in multiple ways because of their elite guys, but also because of the depth they have throughout the roster. You know, if you keep playing the quote unquote right way, then the law of averages is going to bail you out when you hit a cold stretch because mm-hmm. yeah. you are that good individually and collectively. All right, DJ and PK. All right, Yak's been uh, Yak's been flying there. Yak, you got. What do you want us to do, Yak? You get this tease. What happens next? Hopefully, Charlie Brewer. If not, we'll have Nick Ford. Uh, okay. So Charlie Brewer hasn't talked yet. Hasn't talked yet. Yeah. No, no. All right, Charlie Brewer, Utah quarterback coming up. PK's right. People want to hear from the quarterbacks. We will get Charlie Brewer when he speaks. Whether that's in the next segment or the one after remains to be seen. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. Utah quarterback Charlie Brewer, the Baylor transfer, just sat down to talk to the media. Listen in. A lot of the stuff we've been doing this spring has been been really good stuff, and you know it's you know we made a lot of explosive plays and stuff like that. So it's been great so far. Next question will come from Trevor Allen with KSL Sports, followed by Josh Furlong with KSL.com. Charlie, I know that one of the the big things whenever you're you're making a move, especially after a few years at Baylor, is getting is getting that that chemistry with your wideouts. How how has that been throughout spring ball? Getting used to guys like Britton Covey, Solomon Enos, Devon Bailey, and others. It's been good. You know, I think it, it's improved. You know, day by day, day by day, week by week. Um, you know, on our own, we we would throw um, during winter conditioning in the off season. So got a head start there, but, um, you know, throughout spring, I think it's improved every day. So it's been really good. Those guys have made a lot of plays. And in the follow up, I know that the old line is another thing that is, is, is a big change for you. How, how have they been uh, doing during, during spring ball? And, and do you feel like that this is a very good group? Yeah, I think it's a great group. I think, um, you know, those guys have, Played really well all spring, gotten better each practice. And, um, you know, led by Nick, I think, you know, those guys, you know, play really hard and um, a great unit. Next question will come from Josh Furlong, followed by Sammy Mora. Yeah, Nick came in here just a little bit ago and said that uh, one of the reasons he came back was this team feels kind of similar to that 2018 team, which was one that uh, obviously, you know, was contending for the playoffs. You know, I'm, I'm sure when you were at Baylor, you guys were looking at Utah a little bit, knowing that you guys were in a very similar situation and you were able to do, you know, well there. What, what can you kind of um, get from that season, specifically since 2019 was cut short with COVID and everything, but what can you get from that and how do you feel like you can kind of assimilate back to the 2018 season for you and Utah. Yeah, I, I do remember, um, I think Utah was like five, we were six or something like that. Um, but I, you know, I think just a season where you have a lot of success, um, you know, a lot of things go into that, you know, you gotta, you gotta play well week to week. You can't, you can't slip up. Um, you know, and I think when you have an older group of guys that have played a lot of football, that that makes it easier it makes it easier to you know make sure that doesn't happen um so i think you know i think we got the guys to do it um you know it's just now it's just about the little things that go into it and i definitely see you know the potential 
Next question is from Sammy Mora. Hey, Charlie. Um, I was just curious where, like what you see in this Utah program um, comparison to the Sugar Bowl team that you were a part of at Baylor. No, I, I mean, every place is, has its own ways a little bit. It's each place is, you know, different. Um, but I, but there are, you know, a lot of similarities I feel, um, not completely the same, but I, I see a lot of similarities, you know, there's, you know, a lot of talent on this team. Um, I will say that there's a ton of talent on, on this team. And, um, you know, I always said that, uh, Coach Whittingham has his similarities to Coach Rule. Um, so I guess that's a similarity in that way. Next question, I'll go to Josh Furlong, followed by Bill Riley. Hey, Charlie, Kyle hasn't been shy about, you know, praising you in this spring and, and kind of talking about your talent. Uh, obviously, you know, in fall, you'll be able to compete, you know, a little bit more in a serious nature in the sense that you guys will have an actual starter named with maybe Cam Rising now in the mix. How do you feel like, you know, you can still keep that competitive edge while knowing that Cam was named the starter last year and, and is now, you know, in essence, essentially that guy until you can kind of beat him out. What, what do you feel like that relationship can be like and how do you feel like you can you can balance that? I mean, I, I think, you know, competition is great. I think it's, you know, the making of a, a great football team. Um, the more competition you have, um, I think the better, so... You know, I think, you know, Cam's a great guy. Um, we get along very well off the field. Um, so I think the balance is already there of, you know, competition and when to not, when to not co compete and stuff like that. So, you know, I think, you know, I understand the situation. He understands the situation and, you know, and it's just, you know, competition. Final question for Charlie. I'll come from Bill Riley. Charlie, I talked to a number of people that, that were around you at Baylor and around, around you at the Big 12, too, and everybody talked about a different trait you had as quarterback, but I think the common denominator with everybody was your competitive streak. Everybody talked about your competitive streak. I'd just be curious, wh where did that, you know, refuse to lose kind of competitive streak that everybody talks about come from? Um. That's a good question. Um, I just, I think just growing up, I loved competing in sports, you know, from a young age, whether it's, you know, watching my older brother, you know, something like that. I just always enjoyed competing. And, you know, I guess it, once I got in high school, I felt, you know, I was under recruited and then, um, then I kind of, shifted uh you know well i'm gonna go prove them wrong and you know compete my butt off and um just always had a competitive nature about me and always you know enjoyed competing all right thank you charlie all right there's utah quarterback charlie brewer meeting with the media he'll compete with cam rising this summer do you have the feeling he's already going to beat out Cam Rising? Because I'm pretty sure you do, PK. <laughs> Leading the witness, I know, but... <laughs> I was just going to say that's a leading question, Your Honor. It, re it really is. But you know what? You, have, you enjoy telling me I'm wrong. You've done it a few times. 
a few thousand times, and you don't mind it, so you'd be wrong. You, you're not gonna be afraid to be uh, to tell me I'm wrong here. Well, I believe that Jaron Hall is going to start at BYU, and I believe Charlie Brewer is going to start at Utah. So, yes, though, to answer your question, which you already answered in the form of a question, <laughs> I believe that that is correct. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to rule out Cam Rising because I want him to get healthy. I want him to have an opportunity to compete. Uh, but the window for him now to be able to compete is so small because, you know, they got three weeks before the start for first game. But you before you start preparing for the first game. But really, you know, they want to get a starter in there as soon as possible. Every coach, every coordinator will tell you that, particularly at that position, right? So it's not like the competition, if you got 28 practices, I think, whatever it is, before the first game, it's not like you're going to go, the, the 27th practice, we got a starter. You're going to do it way before that. So I don't know how much uh, time there's going to be available because Rising, unfortunately for him, is not able to compete at the level that he needs to compete at. But he will get an opportunity if he really just takes over when he gets that opportunity. It could happen. But I think for right now, we're going to go with Charlie Brewer and Jern Hall down in Provo, and we'll see You know, if they play well and stay healthy, they'll have the jobs. But I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, but I think at the start, those are my two starters. Yeah, I think more often than not, it doesn't happen. And I think we've seen a lot of that here in the uh, in both the Pac-12 era for the Utes and the Independence era for BYU. I think this Zach Wilson making it through, I think it's like the third time BYU has started the same guy in every game, or in every game but one, because I think it was one year that um, Taysom Hill played, but he didn't play the bowl game. I think they were in the set was it the point set of yeah it was a point set yeah, point yeah, set yeah, in the rain the there, yeah. against Wyoming yeah, yeah. yeah so it's just very yeah. rare that that happens it's more often like whoever the number one guy is is going to start seven games or nine games or something like that but the the backup's going to get their chance and sometimes the third stringer does I mean it was a it was a weird year last year for a lot of reasons but the Utes using three quarterbacks in five games I mean that was pretty weird but if even if you're the third string guy stay ready your time your time may well be coming. I do have a little bias against transfer quarterbacks. Okay, because but- as we had Barry Trammell, the columnist from Oklahoma, and I knew what you're going to say because Brewer was playing a ton and those other guys weren't. That, so, that was yes. it. And so I was also going to say that the yeah. bias, if you don't buy into that, which I think there is a logic into buying into that, then well, the fact is the Utes' top two quarterbacks are both transfers. And actually, you know, it's funny because Barry was saying, you guys took a couple guys from Oklahoma. I'm like, yeah, it didn't work out, though. Kyle's over it. Now he's taking guys from Texas because he's taking a Baylor kid and a University of Texas kid. And they're both transfers. Well, but, two. They got two Texas kids at quarterback. You're right. Uh, with Jaquin and Jackson, right. And I don't know where he's going to end up on the depth chart there. Um, but they may see him. He's got the athleticism to run the Wildcat. And, and Kyle's answer to that was, Absolutely. So we may see him even if well, he's for not the in the top being. two. Oh yeah, but yeah, it's a way to, time, for, to get for this season. It's a way to get him on the field and help you win, help you be successful in some short yardage situations. Typically, where you use the wildcat, whether it's you know, you know, goal to go or you know, a third and two at midfield or whatever. Uh, but it gets him some experience and helps propel him along. It protects your other guys from getting hit in some running situations. So maybe they're less likely to get hurt and sets him up maybe down the road. Okay, you've been on the field and. 
maybe that helps you a little bit as you try to progress and win the job yourself. Well, it can't hurt. I don't think we're going to see Brewer run a lot. It's not going to be Tyler Huntley I, of Huntley's sophomore year. I agree. And Ludwig, one of the things that Ludwig was definitive about is that when he was coming in for Huntley, he said, well, I'm going to make the calls to make sure that, mm-hmm. that the option isn't there, and he'll know where to go. And we saw that, too, and he was very effective at that. And he and I stayed think that's healthy. we'll see from Brewer. <laughs> And he stayed yeah. healthy. The other two years, he's been hurt. I mean, those are two more examples of, hey, the backup quarterback's going to play. Yes, and I think that this might be a good situation as far as if you need backup quarterbacks, if if Rising is the number two guy and then has an opportunity. Because, he, I mean, he showed well in the abbreviated training camp that they had last fall. And so he clearly won the job. But, you know... After I saw, and I heard, man, he's looking good, looking good, looking good. He's going to win the job, and, and sure enough, he did. But then when I saw, what was the other guy? Bentley. Bentley. You saw Bentley, he, you thought, well, okay, but the in. bar wasn't that. Of course th- he won the job. <laughs> right, the bar wasn't that high to win the job. Right, right. So I, my point is I'm not really sure about Cam Rising. Uh, well, he'll get an opportunity whether it's this coming season or, or the next season, certainly, because he's got a little time on his side, whereas Brewer doesn't. So I think they're in a good spot as far as having some depth there should they be in that situation where in prior years, I mean, they, they struggled with the depth. So they've improved that there at the quarterback. But I'm, I'm really I'm looking forward to seeing what Brewer can do because, you know, he has eye-popping numbers, and maybe I shouldn't have that bias as far as a quarterback goes to transfer because there's been a number of quarterbacks around the country who've transferred and been very, very good. I mean, none better than Barrow at LSU a couple of years ago. Well, I think that there's uh, probably three ways to play this, and Yak wants us to go to break, so I will tell you the three ways that this can play out next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, so right before the break, PK was saying he's got a bias against uh, transfer quarterbacks, and maybe he shouldn't. Well, I think you had a bias, PK, because you watch a lot of football. You follow a lot of teams for one reason or another. I mean, you're following Utah and BYU and Utah State here. Living here, it's hard not to. The games are on. You're surrounded by, um, you know, fan, certainly fans of two of the schools. But, but the more the Aggies win, the more the Aggie fans come out of the woodwork and we get to talk to them, too. If you were here 20 years ago, there weren't very many Aggie fans. But it's no growing. Under the, under the bleachers? No, they're out from under the bleachers and all the shame of some of those hideous seasons. Last decade's really gone pretty well. It's been a different story than what came before it. So, and you got the LA ties, so you're following those two schools, and you, you follow the two Arizona schools because you live there. And of course, as people move around, then you're following those people because they're in programs, and you've known Jay Hill a long time. So, if you do the math, and we're not doing the math here, but if I think if you do the math on the transfer quarterbacks, your bias is built in and it's real and it's it's mostly on target because most of the transfer quarterbacks don't pan out. But some of them do. And some of them are pretty spectacular. And uh, who's the best? I, I think I know your answer to this, but who is the best transfer quarterback you've seen locally in your 25 or so years here? 
I, I think there's a clear one and two, and I'll see. I want to see if you put them in the same order. Well, do you put uh, junior college guys in there? Yes. Because you're just talking BYU, Utah, Utah State. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because you have uh, Steve Sarkeesian was very good. Mm hmm. And he was a junior college transfer. But El Camino. I, I don't think you're going to put him as number one. Their coach. Uh, Featherstone, who was there for a long time, he recently passed. He had some uh, Alzheimer's things going on. It was a tragic situation. Frank Dolce's talked about that, uh, but he has passed on. I thought you'd uh, go Max Hall number one. Um, well, I was thinking. Yeah. Well, and I was then I biased the competition. I was going to go through the list. Uh, Max Hall certainly has to be up there. I was just focusing on BYU because I don't think Utah has had a lot of success there since I've been here. Uh, Troy maybe. Troy Williams would be the the best one they've had. Okay. Yeah, and that was an interesting situation with Troy starting and then mm-hmm. losing his job after winning nine games, and they bring in a new coordinator and things change. I'm guessing he didn't like that change in coordinators there. <laughs> uh, he would have preferred Aaron Roderick stay on the job. So okay, yeah, that's fine. I can I can go with those. Yeah. Uh, Brad Brad Sorensen down at SUU. And I think that. Um, you know, we can't even list all the transfers who have come through here. Um, but th- there just haven't been that many. So I think your bias is natural. But I think now you got to kind of break them into, into three groups. And the one group that you really need to let the bias go from, but this didn't happen for a long time, so we haven't seen a lot of it, is, you know, Charlie Brewer is coming in with a track record, right? Two years ago, yes. he had 21 yeah. touchdowns yeah. Right. and only seven picks. Mm-hmm. That is a new deal in college football in the last three to five years. You didn't get transfers like that. The other transfers go into two groups, and I think they're the more traditional guys. And because guys are willing to move and because we're about to have a change in the rules here and guys aren't going to have to sit out a year. I mean, we've already had the grad transfer thing. That was a little bit of a change. But now it's going to be open season, and apparently everybody's going to be able to transfer once without sitting out a year. So we're seeing a a higher caliber of quarterback transfer. I still think the majority of guys are transferring because they went somewhere and they're not good enough. And they go somewhere else, and you got to adapt to the season. And yet, there's another good group of quarterbacks that are a year younger, that are two years younger coming in. And so, I still think most of those guys are going to struggle. But the better schools are stockpiling talent in a way they never did. I think quarterbacks are less afraid of competition. But then, once they lose the competition, or they're surprised because they got sold a bill of goods and things aren't really how they were told they were going to be. They're going to look to transfer. So there's going to be more talent out there. Most of them are still going to miss. And that's kind of the third group, and that's the group you've traditionally looked at and thought, I'm not going to get worked up about these quarterbacks. They're probably not going to work. But I do think this second group is going to be a bigger group of guys who have real talent, but because a, a school actually landed two guys with real talent – and only one of them can play, the other one's going to transfer. And there's going to be more of those stories out there. And then you've got this, the first group, which is the priority, which is what you want most of the time is, hey, bring in a guy who's already proven, and we know, we don't know his ceiling, but we know his floor. You know, he's just not going to come in and throw 15 or 20 picks. He's not going to. That's not who he is. Okay, yeah, and I'm open to the idea of quarterbacks going to another school or going to a school knowing that there's a logjam at the start Mm -hmm. or they've recruited another kid in your very same class who has as many or more stars as you. (laughs) Right. 
And so uh, with the ability to leave, particularly at this position, and this position is the most unique in that only one kid plays, unlike the other positions where you can feel like you have some opportunity to uh, contribute. Even even if you're not the full-time starter, you can still contribute, right? And so you feel good about when your team wins in the locker room and, and you You had a role. The, yeah. Yes, and you, you, you can feel good about it, yep. uh, especially if you're a freshman and sophomore knowing your time could come. Quarterback's an entirely different animal. And so you're recruiting these quarterbacks, and now – I don't really know what to think on any of them as far as their uh, long-term future in the program. I, I don't know. Like this kid here from uh, SoCal that the Utes have got. Costelli. He's a freshman now. Yeah. Is it, would I be shocked if uh, in a year or two he leaves? No. Not at all. And But, I mean, I don't blame these kids for running around trying to go because you get one shot and, you know, you, you want to play, play yep. and all that stuff. I and mean, we're seeing with basketball, even if even if you go down a level, what's it? I saw something to this morning that uh, the Connor Harding kid was talking about transferring to UVU. Fine. Get out on the floor. You got one, you know, you're probably not going to play in the NBA. What difference does it make? So uh, get out on the floor. So I understand what they're doing. And that increases the level of competition, which we've always heard is good, and that's what it's about, blah, blah, blah. And that's what Utah has done, which I think in the long term is going to benefit the program. I can't tell you who's going to be the starter next season, not this this coming season, but the season afterward, right? But I feel good about the fact that they'll have somebody that they feel good about. And it's not, well, we just got to put somebody out there and he's the best of the lot. No, they're not. I think they're dealing from a position of strength, which is good news. And who knows, too, really, now in college football, trying to talk about who's going to be your quarterback in 2022? <laughs> no idea. Who knows, man? <laughs> no he's idea. Probably, he could very well be in some program right now that we don't even think about. I mean, the Brewer transfer, from my perspective anyway, sort of came out, of, definitely came out of left field. Yep. I didn't expect that to happen. But yet it did, and and if he plays well, good for Utah. Yeah, and I think that even if they don't get another transfer in, and they might, and it might be out of the blue, no one, you know, who, who knows, knows, right? right. Uh, there were you know plenty of coaching changes, and you never know what's going to happen. So, but even if it doesn't happen, there's three guys behind him, and. You know, I do think the situation where guys transfer, but then they get beat out by a younger guy coming up, I don't know that that's going to happen in the Utah program, but that's the scenario for Castelli versus, you know, both of the kids who are transferring from Texas. Um, and maybe the transfers went out, but maybe the younger guy come in, comes in and, you know, Jackson couldn't play in Texas and he gets beat out again here. Who's, you know, who's to say? Right, you know? right, right. So you don't. You don't know. I think this is where Harding was on talking about the O-line, and O-line isn't the most exciting thing, but he talked transfers, and I think he talked the truth. I think he also tipped his hand on how coaches have to coach their room, is that he said, our guys, I think they get tired of me talking about the 2016 group, but they played four different centers. And if you go back, they, they had a decent season. I can't remember, was that a 9 or 10 win team? But that was a decent team in 2016. And they had to play four centers. And so his message is, I'm going to get graded on wins and losses. No one expl- There's no explaining why Kyle went 5-7, and seven, right? He went 5-7 and seven twice. If he'd have done it a third time, there would have been a new coach. 
No one cares about your problems, Kyle says, and this is a perfect example. Well, because they had depth in the room, because the guys got coached up, and because the guys who were buried on the depth chart never stopped improving, they were ready to step in at the minute they needed them when they had to play four different centers. And so you've got to educate your guys. You've got to draw up, if you're a quarterback, and draw up this list of, hey, over the last 10 years, you know, the starters only played every game three times. The third string guy has played in five of these seasons. You've got to drop those numbers and tell those stories. And what happens is the older guys on the team, you know, the, the freshman and sophomore won't, but the older guys on the team can look at the younger guys and go, when he mentions that guy, I, I know two of those guys. I played with them. Yeah, they really did go through this. And so it's like the guys have to be – I think they're trying to coach these guys up mentally and emotionally to be smarter and more mature because a lot of these stories make sense to you and I because with every passing decade, you see the same stuff happen over again, so you get how stuff works because you just keep seeing it. But we forget these 19-year-olds, they don't have that. They don't know that. What we know from 10 years ago, and they were nine, they don't care. <laughs> you know, Kyle's five and seven seasons are pretty fresh to some Ute fans, but they are ancient history to freshmen and sophomores and kids who are getting recruited. Yeah, and they came at the right time early in the tenure of the Pac-12, mm-hmm. so you could write it off. You could explain it's it. It's obvious they needed an adjustment. And uh, to me, I think that the success of this team is breeding itself, which is why Charlie Brewery just talked about it well, two years ago when the Baylor was going to the Sugar Bowl. He knew that the Utes and themselves, the Baylor Bears, mm-hmm. were right yep. five six and whatever that uh, whatever it was uh, in the uh, playoff uh, ranking there. That, that bodes well for Utah. I think uh, overall, no matter who plays, Utah's in a good spot to win games. That's all the fans care about, and so they're in a good spot to compete for another South division, and then we'll see about uh, who who wins the North. And first, obviously, they got to win the South. But going into the season. I think that's all you can really ask for. You know, a couple years ago, they were the overwhelming favorite, and I think that's the exception from a Utah program because I think if there's going to be an overwhelming favorite in the South, more often than not, it's going to be SC. That year, it was you, and and you cashed in in it. But in a regular year, a more traditional going forward, you want to be in a position to compete for the opportunity to win the South. And I think the Utes are right there, and they – even if they're picked third in the poll, it's it's irrelevant to me. It doesn't matter. Somebody's got to be picked first and second and third and so forth. But the point is that they are, I believe, as we sit here right now in finishing up spring ball and getting ready for what we hope is a normal spring-summer offseason and a normal training camp and normal season in, in September, they are in position to compete. And if I'm a fan... That's exactly what I want, and that's exactly, I think it's, it's exactly where they are. All right, we got breaking news. Do we get the sounder, Yach? Yeah, I can't Almost. really celebrate this. I, I can't get I, I Don't worry about it. This doesn't fire you up. Injury news is always depressing, even if it's the other team. Uh, Jamal Murray diagnosed with a torn ACL in his left knee. He'll be out indefinitely. Uh, nobody really wants to say it, but I think that's what everybody thought when they saw him hit the ground. The well, amount you of pain have experience he was in. in that, and that's yeah. what you you recalled on a first-hand yep. basis. I've only had my heart broken. That's it. Hey, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I wish I was kidding, but uh, I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, sure. Yeah, that's a that's a major major blow. Obviously, it just is. 
They're listing it out indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, and ACL is guaranteed six months, so that's October yeah. 13th. Uh, and the way the NBA works, there is no reason to rush him back. So if that yeah. turns into a seventh or eighth month or whatever it turns into based on how his rehab goes, you know, so be it. I think it's pretty clear he's going to miss the start of some portion of the start of next season. And there's no way to know now. That's why they say indefinitely. Whether it's 10 games or 20 or 30, who knows? Oh, um, if he came back and was full strength by January, I think the Nuggets would sign off on that right now. That today. would be a win. That'd be good uh, enough, absolutely. Yeah, but it's a major blow for them in the postseason because they uh, they were a player, man. They were you, you obviously you got the yoke man in the middle. He's awesome, and the addition of Gordon and the other guys and so forth. They were a player, and they were going to they were going to be a tough out in the postseason. I wasn't going to pick them to win the title. But they were going to be a tough out. I don't think there's any question about that. Whoever got them, whatever round you got them, you were going to have to be at the top of your game. Now, I don't know necessarily that they fall off the map completely, but still uh, expecting them to overcome this. I can make this akin to Bogdanovich's situation in terms of his absence. Now, the injury itself is far more serious than what Bogdanovich had. Uh, so we understand that. But in terms of just the uh, loss in the lineup, I, I think you're losing at the time. Bogdanovich was their second-best scorer, clearly, obviously. Here's, and that's the same deal with Murray. And he, Murray has the ability to go for 40, and I know it's just a bubble situation in which he did it, but I think he has the ability in any situation to do it. So I can't overestimate how big of a blow this is and it sucks for the nuggets and it sucks for the individual even though some of that should be written off to the bubble um just because you're not going to go out there and score 50 and average 40 doesn't mean you aren't capable of going out there and dropping 43 in some important game and averaging 30 right you know right which i think he was say right is this is worst case scenario for the nuggets this is a this is a huge hit. I mean, there's some sliver. You're hoping it's not going to be that bad when they do the MRI. But when he's laying on the floor, this was the worst-case scenario, you know, that it's going to be the ACL. So I, I'm with you. It's, I think they had a chance to win the championship. I don't think it was a great shot, but they were a legit contender. I think the thing is when you add an Aaron Gordon, everybody sees the possibilities. It's like he's not good enough to carry a team, but, man, if he's the third or fourth best player on the floor, yeah, yeah, look yeah. out. And with his skill set, you just know he's a tremendous athlete. When he goes back door, he can beat you, and he can jump over the help that's coming, and Jokic is going to put the, he's gonna put the ball right on his numbers. He's going to put it right on his forehead. You know? and, and we were seeing that in the highlights. The thing that happens with a midseason trade, whether it's Hornacek back in the day with the Jazz, Gasol, you know, with the Lakers, they didn't. The Lakers didn't win the first year they had him. They won the second and third. I still think that this deal for the Nuggets is better down the line than it was this year. I think this year was too soon. So I, I mean, it's hard to put a positive spin on an ACL, but better now than in a year or two. Oh because yeah, I agree. You do with you. come back from ACLs. Lots of guys have, and he will. You know, yeah, he will. He's young so, enough. Right, exactly. He's only like twenty-four, right? So I guess that's the silver lining for the Nuggets. Well, and you'd go back to the Hornacek thing and the Gasol thing. Okay, did, did the Lakers lose in the finals with Gasol that first they year? Did, yeah. and, did, and did the Jazz lose in the conference finals? They did. In the they first did. year? So, back so to that's tough going out. a long way. <laughs> right. That's it. Back to being a tough out when you're in a conference final, an NBA final. It helped. But then with Hornacek, you know, they followed up with a 60-win season and that first-round yeah, yeah. loss. And then they were in a Game 7 of the conference final. And then they had the two NBA finals. 
So, and they they were on a 60-win path in that 50-game season. So, the Hornacek thing kept paying off for five more years. And yes. Aaron Gordon's young enough, and Jokic is young enough, and Murray is young enough. Like, if you're a Jazz a fan and you, and you... Porter's young enough, right. If you're a Jazz fan and you feel the, the Nuggets, it's like, yeah, and they're probably not going anywhere. I mean, I can't guarantee anything because Oklahoma City traded Harden because they didn't want to pay everybody. Uh, they didn't think they could pay everybody. Um, I think... If they had a chance to redo it, they might redo it differently, but, you know, you get one shot and, and they took theirs. Um, but this Nuggets team, even though stuff can get screwed up in the future, it's, it looks good for five years for these guys. And that's a long time in the NBA. Mostly we don't like to look beyond three. I would agree with you unless Jokic realizes that his future is coming over here to the other side of the mountains and being a backup to Gobert. <laughs> Those two could play alongside each other because he can shoot the three. <laughs> True. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and that's not happening. Jokic is locked down. He's got his money, and I bet he's not going anywhere. I think the Nuggets are going to be a very good team uh, for several years, and then we'll just have to see if they turn out to be a great team and a championship team. But at minimum, they're going to be very good. But the Nuggets are going to go into this postseason without Jamal Murray. They're sitting fourth in the West. Maybe the Lakers catch them in their five. Maybe they catch the Clippers and get to three. They, they ought to finish somewhere in that three, four, five range, even without Jamal Murray. But that's a, that's a big loss for them and bad news. Predictable, yes. I think most people feared it when he hit the ground, but uh, still mm-hmm. bad yep. news to have it confirmed. All right, when we come back, everything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed. Stay with us. A lot of reaction to the Jazz loss, and it is all over the map. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network. That was tough. I'm not gonna lie. That was that was a tough part uh, for me. I feel like I'm I'm a planner. Um, I like to have things planned out, and you know what the next step was going to be, and and just the uncertainty there was, for lack of a better term, driving me insane. When I found out, it was just such a relief um, to to just find out the news and, and understand where my where my next stop was going to be. Had Sam Darnold joining the Panthers, and he was happy the trade happened. It felt like it was going to happen, so he just wanted to get on with it already. So we'll see how Sam Darnold does now as he's got to compete for that job in Carolina. And obviously in New York, they'll keep one eye on Carolina while they see how their new quarterback does. And right now we're anticipating their new quarterback will be a BYU guy. Maybe they'll cross everybody up on draft day, but I don't think so. And as long as we're talking about the NFL PK... The uh, David Locke has just tweeted out that I might have had more of an NFL timeline for Jamal Murray returning, and the basketball timeline could be slower. I was talking about it's a minimum of six months, kind of the six to nine month window is when I see football players coming back. But Locke's tweeted out that in basketball, there are a lot of guys who are getting more towards 12 months. So Locke's point is this is going to impact them prepping for next year's playoffs depending on what date is set for the playoffs, but under the theory that you need you know, 30, 40, 50 games together to, to get rolling, and he needs time to scrape the rust off when he comes back, that this is going to impact him deep into next season. Um, and I was more, I know football players, it was Heinz Warren who got hurt at the start of the season and came back for a Super Bowl. Uh, 
You know, football players got it down to nine months and been shortened it to six. But, you know, all the cutting and all the landing and jumping and on hardwood, not on grass, maybe it goes a little slower for basketball players. So we'll see how that plays out for Jamal Murray on the other end of this. Well, if this is a regular, regular season, the playoffs would be starting this weekend. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we're right there. Um, but they're moved back a month this year, and we'll see what they set for a calendar next year if they want to, you know, go right back to what it was or stay with this or split the difference, and they'll probably want to see how things play out. Play out with the rest of this season before they make that call, I would think. So Jamal Murray torn ACL, so he is out for uh, an indeterminate amount of time, but he's out indefinitely for the Nuggets. It'll be a while. Uh, then NBA last night, he got hurt in the end of the Warrior game. Steph Curry became Golden State's all-time leading scorer. I'm not surprised because Wilt didn't play his whole career for the Warriors, uh, but I got to admit when I saw a graphic about it took Steph more than 300 more games <laughs> to catch Wilt because Wilt was averaging like 41 points a game while he was with the Warriors. That was a little eye-popping, and there was a really good quote from uh, George Gervin, the Iceman, about, he says, Wilt was so good. He's like, delve into the record book, and then you find out that Wilt is the record book. He says it will humble you very quickly. That's a good quote from George. Well, yeah, you look at the statistics that Will Chamberlain put up, but they'll never be matched again. No, they won't. They won't. And, uh, you know, I, there's an argument who changed the NBA more. You know, Wilt's one of a handful of players who popularized a regional eight-team league and made it into a uh, national league that had more than 20 teams. I don't. I, mean, I think probably at 22, I think, when he retired, somewhere around there. Um, and But then you got Steph, who revolutionized the game. You know, the, the three-pointer took a massive step forward. I mean, when he was shooting it, there were guys shooting it, but there weren't teams that's entire offense revolved predominantly around the three. You know, in baseball or in football, we talk about do you run the ball to set up the pass or do you pass the ball to set up the run? Okay, the Utes, they run the ball to set up the pass, right? There's no doubt. Well, in the NBA now, you got to look at teams. Do you run your offense with a three to set up everything else? I think we can argue that's what the Jazz do. The Spurs, for a long time, have been more in a. You know, with DeMar DeRozan and with Aldridge, who's now gone, they'd been more in a, uh, hey, we run the two, and that sets up the three for us. But we're looking for a lot of mid-range jumpers. Well, that was never a discussion until Steph and Klay Thompson and the Warriors popularized the three. And the Rockets went all in on it, and, you know, copycat league stuff. Now we're seeing the, the numbers just go off the charts. Well, I think Steph Curry, what he's doing and what he has done, he might have the prettiest offensive game in the history of the NBA. Because when he's on, wow. I mean, that shot <laughs> yeah. and all the stuff that he can do with it is and just it's just amazing. He was on last night. He hit three early. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh he said, because I, I didn't see the post game interview live, but I saw it replayed later. And he said, um he said something about, you know, it was, it was basically cliches and blah, blah, blah. And the Whoever was the analyst said you just lied to us because I thought once you hit those first three, you decided I'm going to get the record and get it out of the way early in the game here, and I'm not going to look to pass. I'm feeling it. I'm just going to fill it up. And Steph started laughing. He goes, yeah, you got me. And the guy said, well, when was? He goes, it really was the third one. When the third one went in, I thought, yep, I'm just going to do this. And who can say that? But he's hitting these crossover step backs, and everybody's imitating him. I mean, there were a time. There was a time when we wondered, okay, how long does it take Donovan Mitchell to add this? It didn't take very long at all, 
And we don't even talk about it when he starts hitting step-back threes. And he's not alone. You know, all across the league, that move, you know, guys are copying it, and guys are getting good at it. Uh, not to his level, but, yeah, it's a weapon. You, you should practice it, particularly with the shot clocks going down. And we see with Mitchell, since we watch him every, every shot he takes, we know when he's going to do it because we see the shot clock, mm-hmm. and we know he's not going to pass. So we know what's coming. We can anticipate the move that he's going to make. Well, it messes with the defender, too, because you're stepping back, so if you go to close out and kind of lunge at him with the clock running down, they're going to jump in and get three free throws. You know, I don't know that—I mean, Curry does it. I think Harden really perfected and popularized it. That might be the one thing that, uh, you know, Curry had—Curry more copied from somebody else, I think. Maybe it's just the way me watching when it registered with me. Um, but I think you're right about Curry is just so graceful and elegant. You know, he's not, he's not as big as the other guys, so he's just naturally not going to have the power element to his game. I mean, nobody attacks the rim the way Westbrook does, right? But who, maybe Lillard, who really looks that smooth shooting the ball 25 to 30 feet from the hoop? I mean, it's ridiculous when he's on. Nobody. Yeah. Elsewhere in the NBA, uh, the Nuggets lose, uh, the Mavericks lose, the Lakers lose, the Jazz lose. Uh, Four of the five teams, uh, playoff teams, playing last night in the West. Five of the top seven played, and four of them lost. The Suns pick up a game on everybody, get the separation from the teams behind them, and move within a game and a half of the Jazz. Now, the Suns, and you've probably heard the guys on Phoenix Radio talking about this, PK, 12 of 16 on the road against some pretty good teams to close the season. So it's still an uphill battle for them to catch the Jazz. And if the Lakers in that 4-5 series, i got to wonder if the Suns will <clears throat> engineer their way to the other end of the bracket at the end of the year. We've seen multiple teams do that the last couple of years. Wouldn't be surprised if it happened again. Well, what do you mean? They're already in that, right? Right, but if they the catch side. the Jazz or have a chance oh, oh, to catch oh, the oh. Jazz, either way, um, Chris Paul might really need to be rested. And honestly, Chris Paul might need to be rested anyway. <laughs> so they'd have, a, they'd have a strong argument. They've got the built-in excuse ready if they want it. And they may not want it, and they may not need it, and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, they really are rolling. The Suns It's still you know, well into the season. Seven hundred ball? No yep. way. No way. We thought that was going to happen. This for for longtime Suns fans, and I'm sure we don't have a lot of listeners who are, but I think this is the uh, a comparison to when they had that drug scandal. And yes. then they uh, yes. brought in Chambers and Hornacek, Hornacek. was a young young mm-hmm. player and all. They sort of came out of left field and were really good. And I think they beat the Lakers. Uh, and, I oh, I was a huge Suns fan because I was taunting all the guys at the Daily Breeze because they beat the Lakers in the playoffs. But then they lost to Portland, I think it was, in in a conference final. And so it's sort of you, – you, you thought they might be good, but you didn't think they'd be this good. Mm-hmm. That's I think, yeah, I think most, I think the most optimistic people had the Suns battling for four, five, six. That that was the high end of prediction for the Suns. The fact that they're two with a legit opportunity to get to one, maybe not a good one, but it's legit. It's a game and a half. They've got the tougher schedule and they're a game and a half back. Um, but they do have the tiebreaker. They're playing well, well. and if you're playing yeah. seven hundred ball, you're basically on a fifty-eight win pace in an eighty-two game season. So that's usually. Top two or three in the league, and they are number two in the league right now. So it's it's the real deal. And I think the bigger story is they're two up on the Clippers in the Pacific Division, and they got a chance to get a Pacific Division championship. 
I just can't follow this many division races. It's just uh, emotionally, it's too overwhelming. I mean, you're trying to get me into the Northwest Division race, but you know maybe I can give that up now that Jamal Murray is hurt and the Jazz have that cushion, five games, six games, whatever it is, because I'm not following it that close because it's a division race. But they're in a, they're in a dogfight for the Pacific Division Championship with the Clippers. I mean, mm-hmm. the Lakers five and a half back, uh, probably not going to get there. But uh, coming down the stretch, yeah, all right, stop. to win that division. Okay. All right, that's good. It's there. I'm looking at the standings right now. (sighs) Why? (laughs) I mean, I know you could click on the bubble on the Internet that says division, but I clicked on conference a long time ago, and I just don't change it. Well, what actually what I did was I had the Suns, and I had the the Western Conference, and I clicked on the Suns individually because you brought up their schedule, Mm -hmm. and then over on the right, it had it the division, yeah, the, it does. And I yeah. thought, oh, I got an opportunity to bring this up and make some <laughs> stupid nonsense again. Because it showed up. I wasn't yeah. looking for it, it just showed up. A certain amount of every successful morning show is stupid nonsense. <laughs> Teams used to hi- hi- hang banners yes, on that. But man. there used to be four divisions, and that meant that probably at least two, if not three of the division champs had a legit chance to win the NBA championship. Now we have six divisions, and you know we're ruling out. In most years, we're rolling rule out at least two, if not three of the division champs. Yeah, but we normally don't ever rule out the Pacific Division champion. Because it's usually the Lakers, and who rules out the Lakers? Yeah. Right. Except right, this- if you're a Suns fan, you got to take it wherever you can get it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anything else you want to uh, – anything you got from the Utes today? We heard from uh, Kyle Whittingham, from Jim Harding, and from Charlie Brewer. Anything you want to add? Anything you want to summarize for Ute fan there? Uh, let's have no injuries in these next three practices and uh-huh. get to the offseason and do your workouts and get ready for August training camp because at this point, uh, that's really all I want to have happen is nobody get any serious injury because they and Kyle said they're having a full practice today and then a lighter practice Thursday and then that scrimmage on Saturday, their spring game. Which and, some key guys will be held out of. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the weather's nice. I think the fact that it's just a return of 6,500 folks get to go in the stadium Give it, give it some a little, a more juice than it normally would have, and then say goodbye to the formal stuff, and then we just wait out the summer, and then when it gets here in August, man, I'll be fired up big time. Well, it'll be interesting to see how deep the Jazz go because summer could be shorter than ever with the playoffs a month later, and the Jazz poised for what should be an interesting and possibly deep playoff run. You know, the, the end of the Jazz season to the start of college football media days and first day of practice and all that, it could be shorter than ever. Might only be a week yeah. or two. Because I, in the, the draft and free agency, which are, you know, highlights of the summer, they got to be squeezed in there somewhere too. So. And Jazz will have some decisions to make, as every team does always. Yep. Some more important decisions than others. Uh, but, yeah, I'm expecting a deep playoff run. I mean, you win the Northwest Division Championship, you should be able to go deep. DJ and PK, I'm ignoring that. Brought to you in part by Davis Vision. <laughs> Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of these contacts and glasses. Save yourself $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, 
Question of the day, why can't the best team in the NBA beat the lowly Washington Wizards? There are a lot of theories, a lot of scheduling, a lot of the team was tired, a lot of that. Vernon, though, says Russell Westbrook hates the Jazz and their fans, and he has it out for us every single time we play him. He went for a triple-double again, and every time he plays us, he plays his best game. Travis follows it up with, I'd hate Jazz fans too after all that's been said to him over the years. I've heard stuff that makes me cringe, and I am far from being nice. Westbrook clearly gets geared up for the Jazz, PK. And there was, there was absolutely an incident with the fan. He's not going to forget that. There was a playoff series. Uh, I don't sit down close enough to the court to know what was being yelled, but it was pretty loud in there. That was a pretty fiery series. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's uh, took some notes during that series and holds them against the Jazz. I think he's got uh, multiple motivations. Plus, if you don't watch him all the time, He's a guy who plays pretty hard. You can say whatever you want about his shot selection and efficiency and all that, but nobody ever said Russell Westbrook doesn't play hard. He plays really hard. Uh, He plays angry, there's no doubt about it, and when he's got it going on and making the smart decisions, the athletic talent obviously is there. He's got to channel it in a positive way, and when he does that, uh, obviously he's really good, and Bradley Beal is consistent as far as his scoring. But that's not what beat them, though. It's these other dudes that came out of nowhere. Who's the one guy, what was his name, Dillard or something? I'd have to look at the box score. Had like, what do you have, 15, 16 points? And just, and, and Are you talking about Gafford? 10? Are you talking about Gafford? Gafford. Yeah, 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 yeah. Daniel Gafford out of Arkansas, a guy we don't talk about. 22 years old, 6'10", a second-round right. draft pick, and he's lighting the Jazz up off the bench. And I thought the bench scoring, they put the bench scoring stat up during the game, but it's a little off because you've moved, you've lost one of your guys on a bench, and you've moved another guy on the bench who's really good into the starting lineup. So, you lost your two leading scorers off the bench, duh. Yeah, right. But Gafford, Lopez, and Bertans all came off the bench for them and hit double figures. Those were the guys. Those were the guys. I expect Westbrook Westbrook to to score. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can live with that. It was the other dudes that got under my skin, and the success that they were having was something that I didn't anticipate. And that was, I think, that was the biggest problem, if I have to label it, from why the Wizards were able to win. From the Jazz perspective, they have their set of problems. But from the Washington perspective, those guys doing what they did, that was a surprise to me. Uh, we've got a lot of people here. Uh, Brad's one of them. He says, the Jazz do not match up very well with the Wizards, and sometimes it's all about the matchups. Okay, so the Jazz match up really well with most of the NBA, and there's like three or four teams they don't match up with. But the Lakers, the Nets, and the Suns are on the list. Well, that's not encouraging since they could play those three teams in three straight series. I don't know. I... Two games, is that really enough to make long-term assessments? I'm not sure. 0-2 against the Suns, 0-2 against the Wizards. Uh, The Lakers are a weird deal because you're about to play them twice without LeBron and AD, so I don't know what we can draw from that, but nobody really matches up with LeBron and AD. That's why they lifted the trophy last year. if you lose somebody in overtime, is it a bad matchup? Is it that bad? Right, yeah, right. Or was it one play that went against you? Yeah, because obviously it can go either way at that point. Yeah, but I think everything's relative, and Jazz fans say, listen, there's a lot of teams that are beaten by 10 to 20 points, so the fact you're even in overtime means you're having a problem with the matchup. 
But you know what? If you have a problem with the matchup and then you win by one possession, who cares? <laughs> nobody's going to go back. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy winning that playoff series because they just barely won it. No. Right. Not against the team, the quality. I mean, if, if you're in a seven-game series, one versus eight, sure, then you're going to say that. But I think okay. in the yeah, way yeah, the West yeah. shapes up after you get through that one versus eight, uh, and in the first round, if you're in a four, five, or three, six series, those series should be hard. Just, you know, the Nuggets were not worried that they barely beat the Jazz last year. They were pumped. It was a hard series. Well, I, I think what's going to be funny, and this is good funny, the Jazz, if they advance to the Western Conference Finals, it's like the first two rounds uh, almost are going to be more of a relief rather than a joy. We took care of business of what we were supposed to do, so I don't know that you're going to see a lot of celebrating. Now, if it's a seven-gamer and somebody hits a game-winning bucket and all that in the moment, but I think that might the, re- the emotion might be more relief. It's like, okay, we've gotten past that. We've gotten to a place we haven't been in a good long while and haven't been at all with this group. Then, of course, if you win the, in the, win the Western Conference Finals, then jump up and down and go crazy because you're going to the NBA Finals, and that's awesome. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Coming up next, it is Hands and Scotty, and we will see you tomorrow. Jazz and the Thunder tonight. Thunder have the exact same record as the Wizards, 20 and 33. The difference is they don't have the two stars at the top. They've lost six in a row and nine out of ten. So ought to be a different discussion tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow from 6 to 10 on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.